little bit early. He's here. His time is valuable. So let's use it. Good afternoon, Dr. Mackis. How are you doing today? Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put your Twitter handle in, in the bottom, if you don't mind. But if you can go ahead and just let everybody know who you are and what you're doing here today. Sure. I'm a nuclear medicine radiologist and oncologist. Um, I came to Alberta in 2013 to work here at a large cancer center for Alberta Health Services. Uh, about two years later, my program was sabotaged by AHS. Uh, and I've been battling uh, AHS in the courts uh, ever since. And I'm still I'm still in Alberta. I'm still in Edmonton, despite uh, every effort of uh, AHS and the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta to, to kick me out and get rid of me. I'm still here uh, causing problems. So That's excellent news that you're still here fighting hard. So are you practicing right now or what is it you're doing day to day? Because is your license taken away at this stage? Yeah. So what happened was, um, you know, I launched my lawsuit after, against AHS. Uh, after my cancer program was sabotaged uh, and, you know, because they had left uh, hundreds of my cancer patients to die, thousands of cancer patients without proper access to uh, cutting edge, uh, you know, diagnostics that I was performing uh, at Cross Cancer Institute in Edmonton. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what they did was uh, they first put a big pile of money in front of me. They said, here's $400,000. We'll make it tax free. Here's some non-disclosure agreements for you to sign. Uh, you have to sign that you'll you'll give up your contracts, hospital privileges. You'll never talk to your um, AHS colleagues about what happened, other doctors about what happened, uh, and they they fully expected me to sign this four hundred thousand dollar bribe. I said no, and that's when the college got involved. The College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta came after my medical license. Uh, then they started threatening my family. They said we'll never allow you to work again. Uh, we will punish your family financially. Um, and, you know, it got to the point where they basically said, look, uh, now you have to uh, declare yourself mentally incompetent or mentally unfit. And that that's why uh, you launched your lawsuit against AHS or we'll take your license. So I said, take my license. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there we are. So they took my license back in 2019. It was just before the pandemic. And I think they regret it now because uh, they've got no leverage over me. And mm -hmm. I'm really one of the few doctors in Canada that can actually speak openly about the pandemic, what happened with COVID-19, um, what, of course, has been happening with the COVID-19 vaccines. Right. So you say you're the, one of the only ones that can speak openly. That's because you let your license go. You're not going to give in to them. You're not going to exactly. take their money. You're not going to do any of that. So what exactly. other leverage do they have against current doctors right now to keep them quiet? Is it just the license or are they doing other things? The license is the main one because, um, you know, if they take your license hostage, people have to realize that it's 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 not just losing your job, right? Mm -hmm. If they take your license hostage, their goal isn't just to make you lose your job. You can just go get a job somewhere else, go to another province, go to another hospital, set up your own clinic, right? Yeah. Uh, the goal when they come after your license is they want to uh, smear you professionally. They want to damage you professionally so that wherever you go, um, that damage will follow you and you will not be able to get a job as a doctor yeah. elsewhere. Um, I experienced this firsthand and I, and I can see that that's what they're doing now to Dr. Charles Hoff in British Columbia, Dr. Daniel Nagassi in Alberta, uh, Dr. Mark Trozzi, Dr. Patrick Phillips, Dr. Chris Shoemaker, Dr. Crystal Litchkew in Ontario, right? That is what they're doing to all the doctors. Uh, you know, I mean, 
they of, of course the goal is to strip us of our licenses but mm -hmm. they want to smear you and damage you first so that you can't actually get uh medical work elsewhere and it's, it's very vicious it's very nasty uh and so that's what they're doing to all the other doctors in canada who are speaking out and you know what they're also this is also happening to american doctors as well the process is a little slower in the united states so you know they they, they are going after dr peter mccullough mm -hmm. uh you know dr uh, ryan cole dr pierre corey all these you know uh dr simon gold all these big doctors in the states who've been speaking out about the vaccines they're going after them as well uh, so it's not just a Canadian problem. It's really a international problem. Yeah, it's not just doctors. So in the legal profession as well, we have the same problem. So they're coming after our licenses and our insurance. So we're getting letters from the insurance companies that protect us saying, look, we're not going to, yeah, we're not going to protect you if you take a certain narrative. Uh, and this is also why a lot of lawyers and paralegals stay away from anything controversial, especially vaccine or employment related because of the vaccine. Because we were warned, uh, we may lose insurance. Are you guys being warned about insurance as well? No, they 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 haven't. I, I haven't heard them come after the insurance. Uh, you know, we have malpractice insurance. That's mm -hmm. the Canadian Medical Protective Association. Um, but you know, it's. I think the license is is the key piece. Uh, that is how they have leverage over you. The hospital privileges. You know, they can strip that from you immediately. That's what happened to, let's say, Dr. Daniel on the gas. Uh, when he tried to treat patients in Alberta with ivermectin, and they basically, a AHS came down, you know, within a matter of a day or two, they right. they canceled his, um, they canceled his other ER shifts. He was an emergency yeah. doctor, canceled his other ER shifts, suspended his hospital privileges. But, you know, the licensing process takes a lot longer uh, for them to strip you off that. They have to go through a legal process. And even mm -hmm. though they rate that legal process, uh, it takes a lot longer. But that is the that is the key piece that they they hold over a lot of doctors' heads, and what will happen is a, a lot of doctors will be advised to actually stay silent during those proceedings by their lawyers, right? Right. Uh, to not you know damage their their chances. You know the college will make it look like you know maybe they will allow you to keep your uh, license if you keep your mouth shut or if you go mm -hmm. back on some of these things. So what you'll find is that you know some of the doctors, let's say, who may have been speaking out. Uh, a year ago or half a year ago, you know, and they suddenly go silent. They go silent because they're they're being put through these legal proceedings where they're advised that it's, you know, better for them to stay silent. I don't have any of that. You know, there, there's right. no leverage on me. That's why I've been so active and that's why I've been speaking out so much. That's wonderful. But, but you had to sacrifice it all to be able to speak in this free country of ours. You had to actually... Yes. So if, yeah. if, if, you, if you basically want to be speaking out on a regular basis, you have to give up your medical license, your medical career completely. Yeah. And then that discredits you in the media because then they say you don't even have a license. So why should we listen to you? Right. The mainstream will say he's not even a doctor anymore. Why should we listen? So you know, it's a, so, a catch 22. Well, you know, so that's a very fascinating line of attack. And um, I, I've been hit with this, of course. They're like, well, mm -hmm. you're not a doctor. You're, you don't have a license. You don't have an active license and so on. It's like, wait a minute. I have... Uh, you know, five years medical training, five years specialty, right? Mm -hmm. I've got uh, whatever it is, 13 years experience. Uh, so that's what, 23 years of medical experience. And you're going to tell me I'm not a doctor, you know, just because someone gives you a, and the license is a permit, right? Correct. It's like, it's like it's getting, education. A, it's getting a permit. It's got nothing to do with your education. It's got nothing to do with your degree. It's got nothing to do with your experience. So just because I don't have a permit from a corrupt 
lawyer that runs the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta doesn't take away the fact that I have, you know, 23 years of medical experience. I've published over 100 publications, mm -hmm. peer-reviewed publications all over the world. Uh, I've diagnosed tens of thousands of cancer patients. I've treated hundreds of cancer patients directly. Th that doesn't disappear, right? Like my, my knowledge, my experience doesn't disappear just because some corrupt lawyer in Alberta, you know, takes away my permit. That's incredible. So Alberta, for the people that are watching outside of Canada, uh, our healthcare systems are provincial, but we also have Health Canada as well. Did Health Canada play any role in this? Did you do anything to uh, play a role in this or was it just Alberta Health Services for you? No. So, so you know, as you mentioned, uh, healthcare is a provincial jurisdiction. Now, sure, the federal government does give some money to the provinces uh, that goes towards the, the healthcare budget. But in terms of the um, regulating how doctors practice medicine, that's all provincial, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so each province has its own College of Physicians and Surgeons. In the United States, uh, each state has a medical board. Uh, and, and so these are the bodies that control doctors' licenses. And of course, then there's the hospitals or the health authorities uh, in Canada that control your hospital privileges right. and that control whether you have a job. Like, for example, Alberta Health Services is the only health authority in Alberta. In British Columbia, there are five different health authorities. Uh, so those health authorities determine, you know, whether you have a job or whether you have hospital privileges, but it's the colleges that determine the, the license. And that goes to show you that it's once you control the colleges, very easy to control all the doctors in Canada, right? And there's about 100,000 doctors in Canada. Uh, there are, what, I don't know, 10, 12 colleges, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, those colleges are run by a couple of people, by a handful of people. Very mm -hmm. easy to compromise all the colleges in the country. So they're a lot like unions where they're run by uh, people that have some sort of purpose and they're trying to keep it together, but not necessarily doctors and not necessarily in the patient's interest. Well, it's a lot worse. It's a lot worse than a union because um, the way the colleges were designed initially decades ago, uh, it was uh, the provincial government gave the privilege of self-regulation to the profession, to the medical profession. Mm -hmm. And they said, look, you guys know better who's qualified to practice medicine, how they should practice medicine. So you guys set up this body, this college, and, you know, you guys kind of regulate each other. We trust you. Right. Same thing for the lawyers. Same thing for nurses, pharmacists, dentists, what have you. Each of them have their own regulatory bodies, engineers. Right. What's happened over time is that these bodies became corrupted uh, and, mm -hmm. and especially the medical ones. Uh, and I don't know how this happened, but they've all become private corporations. And so now they're structured as private corporations where there's no oversight from the provincial government. They're usually run on paper. They are run by bureaucrats, other doctors. Uh, but really, uh, and I've been involved in a legal battle with the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta for seven years. Uh, in, in, in real life, they are actually run by lawyers. Uh, the lawyers will put whatever documents in front of the, the doctors at the college to sign. The doctors will sign. That's how it, that's how it works. So you've got a private corporation run mm -hmm. by lawyers that controls the medical licenses of all the doctors in the province. And, and it's a handful of lawyers, right? It could, it could be, you know, two, three lawyers, powerful lawyers, usually rich, uh, rich lawyers with deep connections in the legal system, in the judicial system. For example, the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta, uh, you know, the the complaints director and now the, the, the registrar, 
his his dad was the chief justice of the Alberta Provincial Court for decades, right? So these are powerful families. These are powerful mm -hmm. local families that run the show. They have contacts in the pharmaceutical industry, construction industry. Uh, and, and, and so they control the licenses of the doctors very tightly, right? And, and interestingly, in British Columbia, what's happening now is that the province is, it has actually amended the Health Professions Act to actually consolidate and take that, take that power back, give it to themselves, give it to the, you know, the health minister and the health minister's team, but for the purposes of actually having more draconian re regulations on doctors, making mandatory vaccinations uh, as part of your uh, condition of your licensing to keep your doctor's license, to keep your nurse's license, uh, all kinds of you know huge penalties, six months imprisonment, $200,000 penalties for engaging in misinformation and so on. And that's going to be directed by the province directly. So in British Columbia, they've actually taken some of that power back in order to be even more draconian and control the doctors even uh, more strongly. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I'm not surprised to hear that, that the lawyers are taking charge. In in our government here, we saw even Danielle had to go up against a couple of lawyers for a couple of things. She wanted to add medical status to the Human Rights Act for Alberta. She ran into lawyers on that one. And then of course she tried to help out a citizen by looking into some details about what's going on with a citizen, ran into lawyers on that and actually had a slap, hand slapped by the uh, uh, the review for her uh, conflict of interest. So yeah, lawyers have a lot of power in this province yep, for sure. Would, would you be able to go to a state or another province and, and apply at their board or are you kind of stuck in limbo while you're fighting Alberta? Uh, I'm actually a prisoner here, uh, you know, in, in terms of what the college has done. I could, I mean, and, I, and I've done, you know, I, I've, I've applied for jobs at Stanford, uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering, John Hopkins, uh, you know, the major centers, cancer centers in the United States. Uh, and, and my job applications were sabotaged every, every time I applied. Mm. What happens is, is uh, so a doctor, when a doctor applies to a new jurisdiction, they have to get a what's called a uh, certificate of professional standing right. from Same all the other jurisdictions that they worked at previously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what will happen is that, and this is why the colleges are, are, are getting so draconian on the doctors, is, is that, so I, let's say I apply in Texas. I will then have to get a certificate of professional standing from Alberta. Well, Alberta College will say, Mac, Dr. Macus is crazy. We've got all kinds of complaints. Uh, we're yep. going to accuse him of whatever we want. And he's not fit to be a doctor and what have you, right? And then, I mean, it is really up to the new uh, employer to decide, okay, you know, do they actually, you know, how they want to weigh that. But usually, you know, they, they weigh those things fairly seriously. Yes, of course. Uh, so the Canadian colleges, they know when they come after doctors and they come to damage your license, they know what they're doing. They're basically making it impossible for you to get work elsewhere. Yeah, it's going to be impossible to insure you is what can be the problem for them on the other side. I'm still they're insured. The insurance is not a problem. Like I, I've no, been insured okay. with the MPA this, this entire time. Uh, that's not the problem. And they don't really target the insurance either. Okay, so it's good. interesting that you brought that up for for the lawyers because uh, we don't have we at least we don't seem to have that same maybe you just gave an idea <laughs> i hope not <laughs> you gave them yeah. a new idea but um no it's it's they hold all the power through the license because honestly i mean what is a doctor without a license what can you do your options are really limited and and that's how when i've been attacked on my views on COVID 19 the vaccines and so on 
that is the first line of attack that they go on. They say, oh, you don't have a license. That means right. you're not a doctor and your opinion doesn't matter. And, I, and you know, as I explained earlier, the license is a permit. It, it, it has nothing to do with my experience and, and training. And But that's how they target you. Absolutely. And that is a big target. And they have a lot of control over that. And they know that because you have to kind of be in good standing with them to move to another jurisdiction. You need their you need the support really to move to another jurisdiction. And then really your, your other option, because again, your, your MD, uh, your MD title has tremendous value. Just mm -hmm. like a PhD title has, has value, has, in, has uh, intrinsic value. And so, you know, if you go and you move into the uh, pharmaceutical industry entirely, then, then your MD is valued. Uh, so for example, uh, you know, I'm now uh, on the board of the wellness company that in the States, uh, it's uh, run by Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Harvey Reich, uh, Dr. Paul cool. Alexander. You know, we've got some, some, some other colleagues now, Dr. Mark Trozzi in Canada, Dr. Roger Hodkinson, Dr. Julie Poness. Um, but, you know, so that is basically, I can do that without a license, right? I don't need a license to be your MD. in the industry, right? My MD has value, my experience. Uh, I'm working... Uh, you know, I just had a big publication come out on the mechanisms of COVID vaccine injuries, the immune shift of the immunoglobulins from IgG1 to IgG4, which has been implicated in tolerance to the spike protein. And then basically you're losing your immune protection against viruses and you're losing your immune system protection against cancers. That was a huge publication that, that uh, I just uh, put out with several colleagues, a uh, doctor from Mexico, a doctor from Saudi Arabia, a doctor from the United States. Uh, and I'm, I'm working on another publication with Dr. Peter McCullough. So I continue to conduct research. Uh, you know, I'm working for the wellness company. I'm a medical author now writing uh, articles on Substack. So I'm extremely busy, right, in well the medical field. However, you know, again, I can't see patients because, right. you know, the Alberta College is holding that, uh, holding my license hostage because they want me to give up my lawsuit against Alberta Health Services. And I'm not willing to just give it up. Congratulations. Keep that going. You got our support on that one. That's the right thing to do. You know it. And thank you very much for doing that. Now, what is your next step? Do you have a court date? Do you have, do you have any movement coming? What's the next couple of steps on that? You know, so the uh, I'm looking to uh, put together a legal team again. I, I've, I've had to fight uh, this uh, on my own. I've been self-represented for the last five years. I've oh, are you serious? Yeah, I've been a self-represented litigant for five years. And so, you know, I've actually learned uh, from AHS's corporate lawyers how to file applications, affidavits, uh, you know, memorandum of argument, factums, mm -hmm. you name it, all of those things, right? I've learned from the best, right? Great. Uh, even though they're corrupt lawyers, but, you know, they are lawyers. They're and good. <laughs> they're corporate lawyers and they're good. And then, you know, they get paid. Uh, very, very well from uh, Alberta taxpayer money. So things are in a bit of a limbo right now because they've spent the last five years, instead of allowing the discovery process to continue, as soon as I became uh, self-represented, they realized that they could just keep hammering the court with fraudulent applications. Uh, and it's things like, first they try to have me declared a vexatious litigant, they try to get my lawsuits thrown out, uh, then they put kind of tiny little legal restrictions on me. I can't contact certain AHS executives. Uh, and then they started filing. Oh, and then they, of, of course, came after my Twitter account. Mm. Um, and, and so what they've done is, is, is on technicalities, they've continued to file court applications 
to have me declared in contempt of court. They have filed 13 applications to have me filed in contempt of court, emergency inju injunctions to have me silenced on Twitter, to have actually a court order ordering me to not be able to talk about AHS online or the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta. They've spent five years, and I'm estimating about $5 million in taxpayer money, stalling my original lawsuit. And again, Jason Kenney, Alberta Premier Jason Kenney knew about this. Health Minister Ty Tyler Shandro and his office, which I was in contact with, they knew about it. They were too afraid. They were too afraid to do anything about Alberta Health Services. Alberta Health Services runs the province. The, the Premier doesn't run the province. AHS runs the province. Uh, and they make it very clear that, you know, I mean, they take half the Alberta budget, which is, mm -hmm. you know, $23 billion every year. Uh, they simply take that money and they run the show. Well, after the show, hit me in the email. I'm a paralegal. I can help on some of this stuff. At least get some of it helped. Um, I can review things. I can help you with some things. Just if, if, if you need it, let me know. Um, yeah, no problem. You shouldn't be alone on this. Even if you just have somebody in the back helping you, it still help you. Because, um, yeah, I can help you. Because one of them that you just had, the vexatious uh, uh, motion, you should have just reversed that right to them uh, as soon as they were done with that one that's exactly what they're doing to you that's um, what they're doing to me yeah exactly yeah but you know then you run into the issue with uh with judges right and and and, yeah. and some, some of the alberta judges seem to be very afraid of ahs you know and then you've got uh, justices like uh, justice ritu kular at the alberta court of appeal who was just appointed as chief justice of the court mm -hmm. of appeal by justin trudeau she used to be a College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta lawyer who was sabotaging the medical licenses of other doctors. In fact, her law firm that she was senior partner in helped sabotage my medical license. This is now the she needs chief, to be recused. Yeah, she needs to be recused. This is now the chief judge in Alberta is someone who used to sabotage doctors for a living. That's how she built her career. And this is the person who's sitting as the chief justice at the Court of Appeal, which is the highest court in Alberta. So, I mean, our you know, our judicial system is a joke. It's an absolute joke. It's a mafia. It's like it functions. And I don't always like to use these words, but it functions as an organized crime ring. You're not you're not wrong because you have to be in the family to be in the family. The judges are within the family. And exactly. once you're in the family, you're in. And uh, no, there's there's some problems around that. And I just want to correct one thing there because uh, I like the truth on this station. We don't have a justice system. We have a legal system. There's a very yeah. big difference. Yeah. yeah. A legal system is of the laws and they just follow it without morality or any types of ethics. A justice system has justice in it. We don't have that right yeah. now. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of, and also when we get into the vaccine stuff, well, we use the right terms. Like, it's not really a vaccine, is it? Uh, it's something yeah. else. <laughs> um, so now let me just jump you into what caused all of this, all of these headaches for you. Um, something like 2001, you started noticing some some things. Um, you started noticing some people are getting sick and, and not doing so well. Uh, vaccine injuries start to catch your attention. Do you want to kind of take us to the beginning of this? Um, yeah, and I do sure. want to ask you one question because the one thing I get on Twitter a lot is a lot of people assume. All doctors should have known all information about the risks of this at the very beginning, completely, utterly, and unfettered. Is that true? No. No. no okay. I, I, Just like the rest of us, we were kind of lied to. Yeah. You know what? I, and I can, I can, I can, that's good, actually. I can, I can hit that right away. Uh, when the pandemic hit in the beginning, I looked at the case fatality rate right away. Mm -hmm. Is this a virus that is killing people? It's a very basic, simple question. And you look at and the data was available very early on that, you know, the the survival 
uh, for young adults, young healthy adults was something like 99.9% or higher, mm -hmm. right? So th this was not a virus that was killing young people. It wasn't killing children. It, it, it was, it seemed to be affecting, um, you know, people more than 70 years old in long-term care settings with, or multiple comorbidities. Right. So that is something that every doctor should have had and should have been aware of in 2020, right at the very beginning. This was not a virus to panic over. This was not a virus to shut down society over, lockdowns, six feet apart. All of that was garbage, right? Now, the masking, mm -hmm. it, it's interesting that the masking, even Fauci said, you know, the masks don't work. Um, you know, the particles are too small. The masks mm -hmm. are useless. But somehow the, the whole masking propaganda really brainwashed a lot of doctors. And I think a lot of doctors kind of fell under this spell that, yes, we got a mask, the masks work. And to this day, you've got doctors in Alberta who are begging and threatening the provincial government to bring back mandatory masking, right? Whenever there's a little bit of a wave, yeah, you hear these voices on the mainstream media constantly bring back masking, mandatory masking indoors and so on. In fact, uh, Danielle Smith just recently I was probably what a week or two ago rescinded mask mandates in hospitals right right that was very very recent was so recent, yes. doctors were brainwashed on the masking they should have known better on the masking uh you know so 2020 came and and i wasn't too concerned about the virus at all uh and i kind of lived my life like whatever you know you kind mm -hmm. of deal with the you know with the whole six feet apart and so on it's it's a bit annoying, right? And, All the and, arrows in the grocery store and following arrows, that. Yeah. You know, exactly. <laughs> you know, especially like the arrows in Dollarama when you're you go one row goes one way, but then the next row goes the opposite way. I would always go the wrong corner. Way. Yeah. I would always sure. go the wrong way. And and I was always, you know, when I'm approaching someone going the wrong way, and the, you know, their eyes would like light up like that because they were so afraid, mm -hmm. right? So doctors should have known in that. The aisle, right there. Clean up an aisle three. Come on, let's go. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> um, so doctors should have known. Um, now you could say, well, you know, the, the media had a, had a narrative doctors really didn't speak up much during 2020 and then the vaccines rolled out. And I found that very bizarre. I actually, you know, I knew a little bit about lipid nanoparticles, uh, again, because as an oncologist, you know, I knew that lipid nanoparticles were being looked at and studied to deliver chemotherapy. Uh, it was going to, it's a systemic treatment. They didn't really, they never perfected it. Uh, that's why it was never really used. But that was the idea. The idea was that um, sort of how do you deliver chemotherapy, you know, in a targeted way without hitting, you know, the bone marrow, destroying the bone marrow and, and right. hitting all kinds of healthy tissues, right? That is the next generation of chemo is, is targeted chemo. Right. And so I know that they were looking at lipid nanoparticles and so on. But again, it was lipid nanoparticles were going to deliver anything sy systemically, right? It was going to go all over the body. So, but then I thought, well, okay, you know, maybe they figured it out. Maybe they have some new propriety technology because that was that lie, right? That it stays in your shoulder. Mm -hmm. They fooled me on that. They fooled me on, on this, like, okay, it stays in your shoulder. Um, and then, of course, the mRNA technology, again, mRNA had been looked at for treating certain con conditions, genetic conditions, maybe treating cancers as well. They'd never worked it out. Uh, they, 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 they never sort of, you know, figured it out how to control it. Uh, so that was strange to me as well, that they would be using mRNA technology. Uh, and again, didn't know too much about it, but I'm just not a fan of experimental drugs, uh, right. you know, and, and, and on top of that, you're never the you know you should never be the first person to line up to take experimental drugs. 
I can tell you that as, a, as an oncologist, I treated only end-stage cancer patients, patients stage four cancer with tumor that had metastasized everywhere that, uh, and I had patients that had actually exhausted all their treatment options. They right. exhausted radiation treatment, they exhausted chemotherapy, they exhausted immunotherapy, uh, any kinds of drugs. So I would get them at the very end when doctors would be like, hey, we got nothing else to offer you, go to Macus and try his new, you know, cutting edge radiation treatment program. So, um, you know, I got off on a, a bit of a tangent. Um, yes, so experimental drugs. So, so right. you use experimental, you use experimental drugs in clinical trials for end stage cancer patients. You don't use it on general population, right? You just don't do that, especially something that was rushed. Uh, you know, something that they they put together in a matter of months, right? You don't put something a vaccine. That's not even life threatening, too. Yeah, something you don't put a vaccine together in a matter of months. And on top of that, you know, I, I saw the Great Barrington Declaration. When it came out, mm -hmm. I signed it and I was fully on board. Okay, you know, you, you want to protect the vulnerable, uh, the people who are at high risk of hospitalization and death. Again, we've learned now that, you know, it was usually people who were severely vitamin D deficient. Uh, we know that people in long-term care settings were treated horribly. Uh, you know, they, they, they were dehydrated, malnourished. They, they weren't given proper treatments. We know that early treatments were all, you know, uh, basically abolished. Right. It was forbidden to treat anyone with early treatments. That was also a huge red flag for me. So, I, I you know, when the vaccines rolled out, I was not going to be one of those people lining up outside of Walmart or mm -hmm. Superstore uh, or wherever they were giving out these vaccines, Shoppers Drug Mart, to, to get a jab. That just to me was complete insanity. Right. Especially healthy people who were at no risk of COVID-19. Uh, and so, again, 2021, I kind of ignored that. But. You know, I just told my wife, I'm like, we're not participating in this in this nonsense, right? Um, and so then summer of 2021 rolls around, and then I see they're rolling out boosters in Israel. And that right. was a bad sign. Because the moment, like, we were sold that this was a two-dose vaccine, and that was Two it. and we done. Were, two we and were done, done forever, right? right? Mm -hmm. That was the promise. And Johnson Johnson one and done, right? Johnson and Johnson, one and done, right? So I remember Jason Kenney was making that promise. Just get your two shots and we're, you know, we're out of this thing, out of lockdowns, what have you. Uh, Doug Ford, you know, everyone was promising that it would be over with two vaccines. And then I see, wait a minute, they're rolling out boosters in Israel. So there's a problem. That means the two doses aren't working, right? Yeah. They roll out the boosters in Israel in, in uh, June or July 2021. And by August, Israel is the number one jurisdiction in the world for the highest uh, rate of COVID-19 cases. So it's not working. They're, they're the first ones to get boosted and they are doing the worst in the world, right? Mm -hmm. Right there, that, that I mean, if anything, that should have been a massive red flag, stop the vaccines, halt the vaccines immediately. Of course, you know, we were seeing athletes dropping dead and all that, yeah. right? And that's when I started speaking out online. That's when I thought, okay, I can't be silent anymore because, you know, they're obviously going down a very, very bad path. These vaccines are not working. They're going to try to be, you know, giving us booster shots. Then they started talking about vaccinating kids. I knew it was just going to be a disaster. I started speaking out in the summer of 2021. Uh, and But then it was really only about November that I noticed that the doctors had started dropping dead. And I noticed the first doctor was this cardiologist in New Brunswick, Dr. Sohrab Lichmedio, 52 years old, very young, vigorous looking guy, 
takes his booster shot and he used to attack anti-vaxxers and he said he wanted to punch them in the face and, and you know, he, he hated them and so on. Takes his booster shot, dies in his sleep two weeks later. No explanation, right? And then a few weeks later, another doctor, 48-year-old doctor, a family doctor in Toronto, takes a booster shot, dies three days later on his friend's couch, just goes to sleep, never wakes up. Now, I can tell you that before I was working at the cancer center, I was working in Brandon, Manitoba. I had my own uh, nuclear medicine department. And, and part of it was I was doing cardiac stress tests. So okay. I was actually doing a, you know cardiac uh, disease diagnosis. And I can tell you this idea that a, that a young guy uh, dies in his sleep with no warning signs and no explanation, it doesn't happen. Right. This right. idea of SADS, the sudden adult death syndrome that yeah. they concocted and, and, and brought out used to be called sudden arrhythmic death syndrome. You li you literally are talking about one in a million types of events. Right. And now these were just happening one after the other. Right. People dying in their sleep. To me, that was like that. That was just woke me up. I'm like, this is this is bad. This is this right. is the, something the vaccine is doing something really, really bad. And, and to remind everybody, the doctors got it kind of first. They're the frontline people that got it first. They're the ones yes. that got jabbed pretty quick. And it was help, It helped make people more comfortable to get the jabs from the doctors as well. So, yeah, yeah, they're some of the first to start getting affected by it, and you noticed it. So now you had two deaths, you saw a couple more, and now you start speaking out. And yeah. right away, everybody congratulated you, put you on the front page of the newspaper, and, and had a parade for you because you helped, right? Is that what happened? <laughs> Well, you know what? Uh, so the mainstream media ignored it, um, and it, but it was going it was going viral on Twitter, and mm -hmm. people were noticing, and people and and people started noticing deaths of other doctors. You know, there, there there were there was a cluster of deaths in the United States of doctors. There was an article on that. There were some doctors in Australia, so people did start noticing it. Yeah. Uh, but then then came this whole propaganda push of getting vaccines into kids. Right. And, and so I was against this is a 12 that. or younger or the five or younger one. Uh, well, you know, they started. I mean, they started with the 12 to 12 to 19. Yeah. That scared were, me right there. They really. And I was I was surprised that parents didn't push back on that harder. Right. Like that was that to me was very shocking. Uh, and then I and then I realized that they, they, they were actually really focused on the kids five to 11 years old. That's right. Yeah, that, that was scary. Was, that was a big one for them because then if you, if they could break into that, then there was no limit, right? Then they could go as, as young as whatever, right? Because if, if parents didn't have a line in the sand, then they were going to steamroll over, over the entire pediatric population. Mm -hmm. So I started speaking out against that. Uh, and I, and I, I, I knew that Twitter had started censoring do uh, doctors and scientists and they, they started cracking down and, and I was trying to be careful. Um, but, they just, yeah. <laughs> they just, and you know what? It, it's it's funny. They wanted those vaccines, those jabs in the kids so badly. Uh, it you know they killed my account, but they killed a whole bunch of accounts that were talking specifically about kids five to eleven years old, and they okay. censored us. And and then I was basically, I was in no man's land. I was suspended for eleven months uh, after that. So you know I had no yeah, way I... really of of reaching uh, any kind of larger audience. I was actually. Getter was my only social media presence. That's, what I was gonna say, that's where I found you at first was last year, about a year ago. I found you yeah. there. Yeah. 
Yeah, now I was concerned because 12 or 5 to 12, that's pre-pubescent. And uh, 12 and after, it's kind of during puberty. And early, there was some reports from women talking about their menstruation cycles. And they were worried about it. And then quickly, the news came out and said, no, it doesn't affect that at all. You're absolutely fine. But as soon as yep. I started hearing that, I'm like, uh-oh. It's not in the shoulder anymore. It's hitting the reproductive system. Now they're yep. targeting pre-pubescent children. Something's up here. So you you got the alarm. You saw 5 to 11. The alarms are going off here big time for you now. They're not even at the risk group. They're at the no risk group, and they're targeting yeah. really hard. Yeah. Taking people off that are just raising the bell, looking at the data, saying, look, they're not at risk, and why are we putting this stuff in them? We don't even know what it does yet. And they start erasing you or, or taking you out of Twitter. So yeah. now you're on Getter, and now you know you're onto something. You're over the target. You're dropping truth bombs. And this is getting worse and worse for you. And at this point, I think this is when you start to come after your license and start to work on that. Well, you know what? So uh, I'm just going to backtrack a little bit to your point sure. that that doctors should have known absolutely from the very beginning. Uh, you know, one can make that argument that doctors should have known. W what's interesting is that I think we can't underestimate the the um, the the propaganda push that they made to get doctors completely brainwashed and accept. They went as far as to put out fraudulent studies in the major um, research papers like Lancet, JAMA. You know, they, they were smearing, they were putting out fraudulent studies about hydroxychloroquine. And then they came after ivermectin. So I think we have to realize that that the propaganda and the attack was so vicious and, and so swift and so well organized that your average doctor had no clue what was what was really Not a chance. Right? Yeah, no. I can say like I can say personally, I wasn't as quick to realize how bad these mRNA vaccines were uh, as I as I would like to have been. Uh, I sort of caught on, uh, and again, I had my hesitation from the very beginning. That's why I had no interest in getting jabs. Certainly, wouldn't get my family jab. None of that, right? But knowing that it was experimental and knowing the history of the lipid nanoparticles and the mRNA that they had never perfected those technologies. But that's as an oncologist, most doctors will not have that background at all, right? Right. So I could see how people might have been fooled in the beginning, especially being in that environment in the hospitals where it was just propaganda nonstop. The pressure was coming down from the medical associations, from the colleges, and so on. Now, there you could say then, okay, well, at some point, though, most doctors should have known that something was very wrong, right? Now, you've got the VAERS, you've got the VAERS reports. Right, the deaths started climbing in VAERS, okay. uh, and I think that most doctors should have, especially now. Again, see, I was out of medicine completely, so I could have taken an easy approach because I wasn't giving vaccines to patients. But doctors right. who were giving vaccines to patients who should have been giving informed consent should have been up to date on what was happening in VAERS. And in VAERS, the deaths started back in January 2021, February 2021, the deaths started rising. Very quickly. Now, VAERS is the vaccine-averse. What was it reporting called? The vaccine-averse reporting States. system. Right. And in Canada, we kind of have the vaccine injury program, which is the same so, thing. Yeah. I mean, in Canada, I think Health Canada has an, an adverse event reporting system as well, but it's just garbage. It's complete mm -hmm. garbage. It is completely compromised. But, you know, we always look to the United States. Uh, we always look to CDC, FDA. Uh, in fact, I mean, Health Canada really relies on mm -hmm. you know fda right doing the sort of the the bulk of the work there and if once these things were fda approved then health canada just rubber stamps it right but 
uh, doctors who were giving out the shots should have been aware of any adverse events, VAERS, uh, you had all kinds of adverse events being reported by people on Twitter. Uh, so, you know, and again, like, like I said, when I was giving experimental treatments to end stage cancer patients, I made damn sure that they had, they knew all the risks. Right. And I was, I had to be on top of the literature. I had to be on top of, okay, what is this treatment doing? What are the risks? What kind of side effects can you have? And these were like very, very safe. They were a lot safer than the mRNA vaccines. I can tell you these cancer treatments that I was doing because we had no, we had virtually no side effects. But I had to be on top of my game because I was giving a cancer patient an experimental treatment, right? That was my responsibility as their oncologist is I had to be able to explain all the risks to them, all the latest um, literature. So Mm -hmm. anyone who was giving mRNA vaccines should have been on top of their game, right? As opposed right. to me, you know, I wasn't even working at the time, so I kind of took a sort of an you know easygoing approach. It. Yeah, okay. it was kind of, kind of a casual interest more than anything, right? But then by mid twenty twenty one, I knew that there was something really wrong with these products; uh, they were failing. And then, of course, you know, people start dying in their sleep. The athletes are dropping dead left and right. Uh, I can tell you, the these vaccines have turned out to be much worse than even I had initially thought like i thought okay they're going to be useless uh they're going to be like the flu vaccines maybe but they mm. turned out to be much worse than than i thought as well yeah they're causing harm they're causing harm they're not just going through the system right yeah so, so they're not just neutral they're like doing nothing they're actually doing some harm so now we're at the five they're going after the five-year-olds we started to hear about people young even young boys dying for myocarditis and stuff like that they started saying that don't worry about it but we started hearing one and then another and then another there's a lot of young boys that i heard about so this was starting to pick up around the doctors as well so now your your antenna's up you're like hey this is wrong even though you weren't administering any doses so you didn't have to be on top of it you were still staying on top of it and bam one plus one equals two in this world not four and you'd started to see some patterns here. You started to raise the bell. Twitter silences you. Now are you starting to get into trouble with uh, your boards and uh, your work? You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. As I said, they really didn't have much leverage. So when the vaccine mandates came in Alberta in uh, October of 2021, I actually mm-hmm. signed a letter that had been put together. Uh, and there, there was a several hundred uh, AHS healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, and other healthcare workers who are opposed to the vaccine mandates, somebody composed a letter to the AHS CEO, Verna Yu, and said, this is wrong. You know, you shouldn't be implementing vaccine mandates of this experimental product uh, on all the 105,000 healthcare workers in Alberta. And there was uh, close to about 100 doctors who signed it. I was one of them. There were, uh, you know, so it had several hundred signatures in total. And then I received a threatening letter from the college saying, you know, we're going to put this on your record. Is this you? You know, you signed this. Uh, you were opposed to vaccine mandates. Uh, you, you know, we'll give you a chance to rescind your support of this. We're putting it on your record. And I realized that they actually sent this threatening letter to all the doctors. All of them. Yep. All of them. Right. And of course, some of them ended up being targeted uh, more directly. So they tried, you know, threatening letters and so on. I've, I, I'd received threatening letters from the AHS lawyers. Uh, you know, they were, you know, talking about my, my anti-vaccine stuff and so on. Uh, calling me an, an, an you know, anti-vaxxer and what have you. 
but mm -hmm. uh, they, they really didn't have any kind of leverage. But I think um, they were very happy that I had been banished from Twitter. And I'll tell you something else. Uh, who took credit for me being suspended from Twitter? It was actually a law professor at University of Alberta, Ubaka Ogbogu, who uh, is a Trudeau Foundation fellow, who works with another law professor, uh, Timothy Caulfield, at University of Alberta, also a Trudeau Foundation fellow, who has received $2.5 million from the Trudeau government to fight misinformation online, which what he really does is he attacks, smears, and defames any doctor, scientist who raises concerns about the vaccines. And this individual actually took credit for getting me suspended. He called for a mass reporting of me to Twitter. Uh, he sent out to his tens of thousands of followers. He said, listen, guys, mass report this guy, Marcus. Let's get him suspended. And, the, and afterwards, they took credit for getting me suspended. Now, whether they actually did or not, I don't know. Uh, Twitter told me that the exact post that got me suspended was me uh, warning about vaccines in kids 5 to 11, saying that there's uh, there's there was actually evidence of negative vaccine efficacy. And I was quoting a CNBC article, which was quoting a research study that had just come out. Mm -hmm. And... And that that wasn't good enough. You know, they killed my account on the basis of that. So I was I was in I was on Getter posting. I had a very small audience. You know, I had something like a, a thousand followers. And uh, but people would start posting my material on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I, I took a real deep dive into the Canadian doctors uh, dying right. suddenly. Uh, and then, so by summer of 2022, I'd, I'd, I'd started doing heavy research on the Canadian doctors dying. Then there was a huge cluster of doctors uh, that had died in uh, in Ontario uh, within days of each other. There were three who died in one hospital within like, you know, three, four days of each other at a single hospital, three young doctors who dropped dead. And, and so that just started going viral. And I think that's when the healthcare mafia realized like, uh oh, this guy, we're not going to be able to keep him silent. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, you know, afterwards, the Toronto Star uh, started writing hit pieces. And uh, so by, I think, by November of 2022, I had my first hit piece in the Toronto Star done against me. And then I, I had multiple hit pieces done on me uh, by January of 2023 from Global News, Toronto Star. Uh, Associated Press came after me. Reuters came after me. Uh, there was a whole bunch of media outlets that had suddenly come after me, try to smear me and just say, look, this guy, has, you know, is a, is a quack, loon, no license. Don't Please don't listen to him. All right. Doctors are not dying from the COVID-19 vaccines. Just ignore it. So there was a big misinformation campaign against you by yeah. all of the media, uh, well-funded, clearly well-orchestrated and clearly very effective. Um, and it is very effective. And just to kind of side note, this whole signing a, a thing and then being collectively punished, that just happened in Saskatchewan at a high school. Some children or some teens put up a sign that said uh, straight and proud. And mm. then they signed, they signed straight and proud. Every single one of them got pulled into the principal's office. The RCMP with weapons arrived to explain to them how that's a hate crime. And they're yeah. about to have their lives ruined for signing a piece of paper that says they are straight and proud. I would wonder what the recourse would be if it was gay and pride 
And the same thing happened. It would be an incredible news story across the world. But here you are. You're signing a piece of paper that says, I dissent on this particular thing, in which, you, by the way, you can. Even in the Supreme Court, we have a dissenting opinion, which means not everybody agrees and has a dissenting opinion. So dissent yeah. is a common function of a democracy. And here you are. You you're put your name to a dissenting opinion, and you're now targeted. All right. So when this is kind of when I learned about you. So this is around the 80 doctors' sudden death uh, postings is when I saw them. It was at 80 at the time, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's when I'm like, oh, my gosh, that is 79 too many. So what happened here? Because um, one can die, but 80. Um, so now this is where I pick it up, and I'm trying to reach out to you. And you're having a lot of trouble all over the place. Um, let's go ahead and pick it up from there. So 80 doctors is going viral. It's on Twitter. They can't stop yeah. it on Twitter. Everybody's it, posting it. It went viral. And, and, you know, that's when I started doing interviews and, you know, I, I have to credit, uh, Odessa Orlovitz from Liberty.com. Uh, she was the first one to approach me. She said, listen, I want to do an interview with you. I'd never done interviews and mm -hmm. podcasts or anything like that. And so, uh, at first I said, no, I'm, you know, I, I don't do that. Um, I've got legal cases and you know, the last thing I need is, uh, you know, I had just won a legal case about a year and a half before that, where AHS had gone to court to try to have me silenced. Uh, mm -hmm. And they said, you know, have we need a court order to make sure that Macus doesn't do any interviews, doesn't go on TV, doesn't uh, go on social media, uh, doesn't email his colleagues about AHS and corruption at AHS. And I had won that case. It got thrown out by Justice Claxon. And so uh, I'd, I'd just been through that. That was like a, you know, two-year thing, the meat grinder that AHS had put me through, one of their mm -hmm. multiple court applications. And I didn't want to do you know, interviews and have AHS lawyers come after me all over again. Right. Uh, right. But she she got me to do the interviews. I started doing interviews with Odessa Arlowitz at liberty.com. And then uh, she said, look, uh, Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson is going to want to yep. interview you. Laura Lynn started interviewing me. And then Bright Light News came in. And then you know, Rebel News uh, jumped on. Um, and it just kind of snowballed from there. So I started actually doing a whole bunch of interviews. I was still suspended off Twitter, right? I had okay. no presence on Twitter, but people were posting my stuff on Twitter. And the moment they posted stuff, it would go viral. It would get tens of thousands of likes and retweets and so on. So the story about the doctors, and that was very interesting is because, you know, the more I dug into these sudden deaths of the doctors, the more I found. And I realized, I'm like, wait a minute, this has been going on since the vaccines were rolled out. But it was it was happening at a at a very steady pace, and no one had noticed. Mm -hmm. No one had noticed that there were young doctors who were dying suddenly. Now, when we're talking about this numbers, like it was eighty then, it's about one hundred sixty now, and people right. will say, "Well, you know, I don't know, doctors die all the time. That's not a big number." Well, this is not all doctor deaths. No. These are deaths of of young practicing, actively practicing doctors. Uh, that were sudden or unexpected. Right. Um, and, you know, people have hit me hard on that because this is something, and I've been told that this is something that actually wakes people up because it's the doctors who should know that these are experimental medications and they should know whether they're safe or not, right? If doctors are dying suddenly and unexpectedly from the shots that they themselves took, that means they screwed up somewhere along the way. Mm -hmm. And they must have been giving bad advice to their patients because if these things are not safe and doctors are not protecting themselves and their families and their children, they're sure as hell not protecting their patients. They're right. probably giving very bad advice to their own patients. And that is something I think that that wakes people up. 
right? How come you've got these young doctors that are dying in their sleep? They're dying while they're jogging. They're dying while they're going for a swim. That shouldn't be happening. What's wrong? What happened? And they're all jabbed. And the, the thing is, uh, the beauty about this is that, as you mentioned, doctors were the first ones to line up for the shots, mm -hmm. the first two shots. They were the first ones to line up for the booster shots. You know, they're 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 generally healthy. Yeah, I mean, we could mm -hmm. we could sort of argue about that, but they're you know they're health conscious, healthy for the most part, right? Yeah. And so, if we see something happening with doctors that is unusual or strange, they're the canaries in the coal mine because they were the first ones to line up, right? Yeah. So if we see something happening with them, well, it might be then happening in the broader population as well. And you weren't really the first to notice this. There was an in memoriam page on the website at one point that you guys used to go and look at. You used to pull information about passing doctors who passed away. Does that page still exist? So um, I I do believe I was the first one to speak out about sudden and unexpected deaths of Canadian doctors uh, since the rollout of the vaccines. Mm -hmm. Now the Canadian Medical Association has had an in memoriam page. As, as long as I can remember, uh, many, many years. Back many years. ever since the first doctor passed away, maybe. Who knows, right? I mean, I, I know they've had it for a very long time. And it, it's, it's almost like um, it's a sign of respect that the association pays to their member who passed away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's very easy to maintain. And so they've maintained this for many, many years. And people started going there and looking up and seeing, wait a minute, you know, there's there's a lot more deaths. These these doctors are, are a lot younger. You don't see these kinds of deaths in 2019 or 2018. Right. You'll see like the occasional young death, but it was usually like a motor vehicle accident. accident or something. Yeah, exactly. Something you explainable, know, something you would understand. Yeah, explainable, but just, you know, unexplainable deaths of young people. It, it like I said, very rare. Right now it's very common. People can actually go and look it up. So the Canadian Medical Associations, what I did was, and I wanted there to be a paper trail, a document trail. Uh, I, I started writing them letters and I started sending them this information. Look, here are the doctors who've died suddenly. And the first letter I wrote to them in September of 2022 was when it was uh, 32 doctors, mm -hmm. right? And then I think by October, it was, um, might've been 80. So I That's how when I found it, 80, yep. Yeah, second letter, and I think the third letter might have been 132. I think okay. I sent that out back in uh, January of 2023. And so I've sent them these three letters. I sent it to their legal team, to their media team, to the presidents of the Canadian Medical Association. They've ignored all three letters, completely ignored. They wouldn't even have a PR person respond to me, right? That is the lack of respect that the Canadian Medical Association showed me and showed this information, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, and during that time, I realized I'm like, I better get myself a database and compare because people were starting to ask me, well, how does this compare to previous years? These deaths, right. what's, you know, how do you compare it? This could be just normal. And I had people reach out to me and said, look, we're going to help you. We want to volunteer our time. We're going to help you. We're going to go through all the obituaries that we can possibly find. We're going to go to the CMA website, the In Memoriam website and download all that data. And they did. Great. They downloaded all the data. Uh, we're going to go to other medical associations. The provincial colleges sometimes announce deaths. Uh, you can actually see it on the uh, licensing that someone's been deceased. Uh, the medical schools have alumni associations that mm -hmm. announce deaths of medical school alumni. 
you go to all of those sources, Royal College uh, website as well. You go to all of those sources and it took us, it took us, I don't know, it had to be over a thousand hours. I, I want to say hundreds of hours, but it was, it was a lot, a lot of work. It, it would have had to have been thousands of hours, several people working thousands of hours. Some of them wish to remain anonymous. Uh, and they've put, they put together this database of all the doctor deaths that occur over the last four years. And it was about 2,300 doctor deaths over the last four years. We analyzed it. And what we found was that compared to 2019, in 2020, there was a little bump in physician mortality, about 20% above baseline. 2021, 37% above baseline. 2022, 53% above baseline, right? So now you've got this trend. And the trend is going straight. Now, we're talking excess mortality of 53% of Canadian doctors, right? Uh, with no other explanation uh, other than, I mean, you could say, okay, doctors are stressed and they're burning out. But really, 53% excess mortality, that is a multi-sigma event, right? You don't mm -hmm. just explain that away. And, you know, and it, it, it jives when you compare it with the other data. When you look at Edward Dowd, and what the data that he's putting out, the insurance data in the United States, and you look at the working age population, and he's seeing excess mortality on the order of 40% or so, you know, since the rollout of the vaccines. And he says, look, there's no other explanation for it other than the vaccines and the vaccine mandates. So it, it's in line with the other data. And again, I've, I've, I've given this to the Canadian Medical Association. They came out on Twitter and they said, this is disinformation. There's no evidence that doctors are being harmed or dying from the COVID-19 vaccines and go get your booster shot. That was literally all that the Canadian Medical Association said on the matter. That's insane. Now, it's not just doctors. The uh, CTV came out with top 10 causes of death in 2001 for Alberta. And number one was ill-defined and unknown causes, 3,362. With number three being COVID-19 with 1,950. And then with uh, number 10 being drug overdoses. So these are clearly undefined 3,362 for 2001. So it's not even just doctors. It's even everybody. There seems to yeah. be a bit of a spike in unknown deaths. You and I always say, well, why do you focus on the doctors? I focus on the doctors because you know that this group is 100% vaccinated. In fact, right. in fact, when I, had, uh, when I was attacked by Global News, there was a the journalist, Ashley Stewart, and she went in and she told me ahead of time, she said, look, uh, I'm going to um, I'm going to talk to all the families and, uh, you know, they're all angry at you. And, you know, she was asking me all, all kinds of nasty questions. I realized she was writing a hit piece right. and she went, she did her hit piece and she said, I did an investigation. Now she's you know in her late 20s, but she investigated these deaths uh, without autopsy because none of them have an autopsy report. And she says, I determined the cause of death in 50 of these 80 doctors. Uh, now, she did find some good information that was actually ironically helpful. She right. found that one of the 80 doctors was unvaccinated. So I okay. thought, okay, great. You know, I, I need good information. So now we're at 79, right? We know that 79 are vaccinated, one wasn't. So, I, so I'm taking she that. confirmed doctor. that. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Right. You know, I'm yeah. taking that doctor out of my database. Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. And then she said, aha, look. These guys died of uh, cardiac arrest. 
not the vaccine. These guys died of stroke, not the vaccine. These guys died of cancer, not the vaccine. And of course, there were a couple of suicides in there as well. So it was this whole gotcha, right? Look, I, I, I got you. You're discredited. I, I, a 20-something-year-old journalist, I've solved the mystery of Canadian doctor sudden deaths. And with, no with no autopsy reports. Right. right. And then we find. And then you find out, then you, you, you know, when you look at it, you're like, well, wait a minute. The vaccines are causing myocarditis, mm -hmm. right? The myocarditis predisposes you to sudden cardiac arrhythmias and sudden cardiac deaths, right? The vaccines cause blood clots. They predispose mm -hmm. you to strokes, pulmonary emboli. We've got all kinds of neurological injuries, autoimmune injuries. And then, of course, now we're getting very aggressive cancers that are killing people in a matter of weeks or months and not years, as you know, many of these cancers used to. People, people were able to live uh, with, with cancers, you know, breast cancer, lung cancer. These were not death sentences in a matter of two, three, six months, right? These were cancers you could treat, and people could live for many years. And you know, in the cases of breast cancer, even, even decades, right? And now these cancers are killing people in a matter of weeks or months. So it's not a gotcha, right? That and of no, course she confirmed it. You know, and of course, when it comes to suicides, that is a very sensitive topic that I've been viciously attacked on. And I have put out a number of Substack articles showing that, look, um, the spike protein gets in the brain. There's a number mm -hmm. of studies that have proven that it can get into the brain. If the spike protein gets into the brain, it's causing all kinds of problems. And we see that in many of the uh, adverse event reporting systems, neurological injuries are the number one category of injuries. Well, so number one confirmed uh, side effect is front lobe issues, frontal lobe issues, right? Yeah. So you've got, you know, you've got the various paralyses, you've got vision problems, hearing problems, tinnitus, vertigo, you know, you've got um, all kinds of movement disorders, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you've got seizures, you've got strokes, you've got, I mean, you know, you've got brain aneurysms, uh, and there are a ton of VAERS reports. Uh, of individuals who took COVID-19 vaccines, and I've reported on this, uh, whether it was adults and it, even kids, even kids took the vaccines who start having hallucinations. They start okay. having psychiatric problems, right? They start having mental health issues. They they have uh, they have depression. psychotic problems. They have anxiety, depression. anxiety, depression, right? Uh, and then in those cases, there were a lot of suicide attempts. And in a matter of days after taking the vaccines, Pfizer or Moderna, these cases are there. They are in VAERS and they are very, you know, they're, they, they're, you know, they're shocking. These are shocking cases. So to, to say that, hey, you know, um, gotcha, this doctor committed suicide. Well, wait a minute. We know the spike protein goes into the brain. That's been pathologically proven. We know that people are having tons of neurological and mental health issues that, you know, that increases your risk of suicide as well, mm -hmm. right? And so that's something that at the very least needs to be investigated. And that's been my whole point this entire time. And that's what I've asked the Canadian Medical Association. You have to investigate these deaths. We need a proper investigation. We need proper autopsies. We need the staining for the spike protein. Figure out where the spike protein is getting. It's getting in the heart, it's getting in the brain, and then what effect it had once it got there. We need these answers. And we can't have the, the Canadian Medical Association saying this is disinformation and don't bother us. They have the data, right? Mm -hmm. Like when I got that big database of Canadian doctor deaths showing 53% excess mortality in 2022 of Canadian doctor deaths compared to 2019, half the data was taken from the CMA 
uh, website, in memoriam website, which they have since shut down. Right. They first started deleting the data. So they would delete the data for 2021, 2020, and 2019. And for a few months, they left the in memoriam pages for the 2022. And then they took that down as well. They've deleted that entire website that had been there for many, many years, honoring Canadian doctors who've died. Mm -hmm. they deleted. I mean, that that just goes to show you that they know what's going on. And, and you know, they're at least uh, they're they're behaving like a criminal who's been caught. Right. Like like right. like the fact that you're going back and deleting data and then you just delete the website entirely. You're behaving as if you're somehow culpable in, in these deaths. Right. And we know that they've been pushing vaccine mandates. They've been pushing for vaccination of all the doctors this entire time, the entire time they continue to push. Uh, they continue to recommend vaccinations in young kids, pregnant women, you know, and 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 all all they've done is they've deleted the data of the doctor deaths. Yeah, I've never seen or met anybody who did a good thing and then covered their tracks. Yeah. Um, doesn't happen. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. And uh, we can also get we can recover deleted websites, by the way. So yeah, so so exactly. Done. So so my team had actually. Now we knew that they had started because when when this especially when it hit 80 doctors, that's when it went international, right? Mm -hmm. Once once you've got a number like 80 Canadian doctors have dropped dead unexpectedly, that number has that went international, especially when you have the names, the pictures, who yep. these people were, where they practiced, what they practiced, right? The, age. There, there's, there's not an uh, age. There's not another database like this in the world, right? Uh, there's nobody keeping track of doctor deaths in other countries. Australia, United States. That's why it went viral internationally. And I had doctors writing to me from South Africa, from you know Cambodia, from Germany, from India, saying thank you for letting us know we didn't know that doctors are dying from these shots. And they started to look as well and started to see the same thing as well in other countries. And incredibly, you know, there's now doctors in Mexico uh, examining doctor sudden deaths. There's doctors in Guatemala that had found over a hundred sudden deaths of Guatemalan doctors since wow. the rollout of the vaccines, and they've been putting that data out. They actually have access to the exact dates when those doctors had those shots, and they actually found correlation with uh, with like batches, you know, that that doctors in the right. same town might have taken around the same time. Then they both die six months later, right? Like like there's correlations like that that are coming out now. Uh, so, you know, once doctors realized this is happening in other countries, they started looking as well. Uh, but you know, here, so, so when it was around, yeah, when it was around 80, um, you know, it was going viral internationally and the Canadian medical association, they, they could have at least said, okay, we'll look into it, right? They had the data. Uh, they could have said, you know, we'll at least look at it and they just, they just, they just buried it. Okay, so there's definitely a cover-up for sure. Uh, yeah. You can just tell from that. Now, at this point, 80 goes out. And by the way, my Twitter, there's so many international people. They're translating it into other languages. Like, they're taking yes. your thing. They're translating it and putting it back out. And I saw several of them. So, yeah, this is global. That blew my mind. I Like, I saw my... So, imagine, I'm not even on Twitter. I'm on Getter. People are posting my stuff on Twitter about the Canadian doctors dying. And it's being translated into German, French, mm -hmm. Spanish. Korean, Japanese, you know, I had to click translate just to see what see, the languages were that were being translated into. Because, right, because you want to know if they're saying something or what, but they're, they're verbatim translating yeah, you. They're verbatim translation. Yeah. yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. Like, I, I was I was stunned to see that. 
Well, thank you for that, because that really kicked off a big movement there. And then a lot of places started looking as well. So you definitely opened a can of worms there. So well, well done on you on that one. Okay, so now 80s out there, they're going viral. They're upset with you. Twitter's shut you down. Uh, they're going after the kids. Lots of doctors are dying. Lots of people around us are starting to die. This movie comes out called Sudden Death. That suddenly yeah. shows some of this. Die suddenly, sorry. And starts to show some of this. Things are coming together. Things are starting to make sense to you. You're watching this movie. Now tell me about this time as you're starting to get more exposed to more more information. You know, I believe that the movie Died Suddenly came out, I think it was November of 2022. And uh, that went viral. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. that had, I think very quickly had, had crossed 10 million views. Uh, maybe it's crossed 20 million views. I, I, you know, I don't know the exact number at this point, but it was on Rumble. And it just went, it just went like wildfire. And I watched yep. it. And you know what? It was, it was, it was great. It was uh it obviously had you know some people nitpick, right? On everything they say, well, you know, this event, that person didn't die, or or this happened before the vaccines, whatever. There's a couple of things because you know they do all these montages, right? Mm -hmm. And there might be some clips that maybe shouldn't have been included in the movie. But I think it was a, it was a powerful movie to to really hit home the message something's going on look there's these bizarre blood clots that they're finding in people and that that again that was not made up that was real i mean there's you know we see there's people who survived these blood clots young athletes i mean there was i remember a case of a young athlete around that time in his early 20s they pulled out a six foot long clot from his wow. legs right That's six foot long length clot. of it yeah i just completely insane but it was it was happening you know and i and i think that really kind of sort of opened a lot of people's eyes. Um, and so, you know, I, I kept sort of battling on Getter, kept doing as many interviews as I could. And then, of course, I saw Dr. Peter McCullough was brought back to Twitter. Dr. Robert Malone was brought back to pe Twitter. People started being brought back to Twitter once Elon Musk took right. over. Right. Yep. And I was basically waiting for my turn to be brought back. It took a long time. It, it I, I wasn't brought back until February of 2023, months after a lot of other doctors had been brought back. And I was actually wondering, I was like, am I going to be brought back or not? Because I'm one of the few Canadian doctors speaking out. And of course, we know with Justin Trudeau being the figurehead of, of WEF and basically mm -hmm. bringing everything, you know, WEF to, into Canada and piloting it here, right? That maybe, yep. you know, maybe he had made a phone call to, to Twitter. We knew that there were still some, you know, FBI agents working at Twitter or, or, you know, CIA operatives or what have you, these three letter agencies who are basically, you know, uh, making sure that people were being shadow banned and, and shut down and silenced and so on. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe someone made a phone call and I'm not coming back to Twitter. Maybe it was that because Canada, they need Canada, right? Canada is one of these countries where they need complete compliance because right. it's at the forefront of this push Australia was another one of these countries, right? Canada, Australia, New Zealand, you know, we're they were, the, we're the pilot countries. We're, we're the pilot, pilot countries. Exactly. Yeah. We are at the forefront of this draconian push into this bizarre communism, uh, whether it's, you know, with, with, you know, climate change thrown in and uh, digital IDs and, and all this stuff, 15 minute cities, what have you, it's, it's kind of a new version of communism, but it's yep. still totalitarianism. And we're at the forefront of that. Right. So I thought, well, obviously, you know, someone made a phone call to Twitter and I'm not getting back. So I actually started my Substack because of that, because I thought I wasn't coming back on Twitter. Mm -hmm. So I started my Substack in February and then about a week later, 
I was brought back on Twitter. And so I've been uh, very active ever since. And I realized, um, you know, I, I'd been monitoring some sudden deaths and I thought, okay, well, it's, it's not, it's not just doctors, you know, it's happening to nurses. It's happening in, you know, police officers, firefighters. I started reporting that because again, I was very much against COVID vaccine mandates. I thought that any COVID vaccine mandate was illegal. It was unethical, unscientific. I don't care what corrupt judge upheld those mandates. We saw in the United States that eventually all those mandates were declared unlawful. Illegal. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the you know what the best term to describe it is. But they were ultimately the the vaccine mandates were thrown out by the courts in the United States, not in Canada, right? Unfortunately, mm-hmm. Canada we have a serious problem with with our courts, right? Well, yeah, well, February 2022 would have been the convoy. So that, it would have been at that time, the convoy. Yeah. So, um, so you know, I get brought back. I started focusing on deaths in all these other areas uh, because I'm just seeing them. I'm just seeing them all over the place. And again, you know, no one is sort of, I mean, people are raising alarms here and there. But again, it's like, we need to get this in front of people as many people as possible and mm-hmm. just tell them look this is happening these deaths these sudden deaths are just increasing they're they're increasing in 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 in, in various uh areas right like i said in, in various professions and so on and then of course uh i'd spent uh the latter part of 2022 uh discovering and realizing that kids were starting to die suddenly canadian Canadian kids were starting to die suddenly, and I tracked a lot of these deaths down. Uh, at some point, I tracked over a hundred Canadian children dying suddenly uh, in a span of what two, three months November, wow. December, January. Uh, so I, I got that out on the Substack as well. I was trying to get it out, bef- you know, in other ways b- before I had Substack and Twitter. Uh, I was doing talks about, you know, we we had in November, December, we had this huge flu season. Tens of thousands of kids were getting sick and no one knew why. Right. There, there were there were we had school absence rates of 20, 30 percent of schools were empty in in Edmonton, in Calgary. Tens of thousands of kids were sick. Uh, no one knew why. Of course, then we had the Tylenol shortage as well. Right. Um, and it was because these kids were immunosuppressed. Right. You know, they vaccinated huge populations of these kids, kids 12 to 19, 80% of these kids were vaccinated. Kids 5 to 11 years old, 50% of these kids were vaccinated. And then we get hit with a, with a regular flu season and we have tens of thousands of kids that are sick home from school. I knew my kids, not vaccinated, mm-hmm. all their friends in Edmonton vaccinated. My kids would get sick for a day or two or three. They'd go back to school. They're That's vaccinated. Normal their vaccinated friends would be sick for an entire week, two weeks out of school, struggling. And then I would see some of those kids, um, not in my circle, but in Alberta, would die suddenly. And they'd say, well, you know, kids are dying from flu. Wait a minute. Healthy kids don't die from the flu. No, no. BS, right? I remember several years ago when one kid did, and it was big news, just one kid in Manitoba died suddenly of uh, the flu. And that was huge news because that doesn't happen. Yeah. So I've been busy with with uh, sort of tracking the deaths of of kids um, and, you know, realizing that all these kids had been suddenly struggling with their immune systems uh, because, you know, you you could tell from the 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 vaccine efficacy studies that once you take your your two doses, let's say your immune system actually takes a dive. 
Yes, and I've it takes a dive for a number of months afterwards. Uh, and you could actually track this with the hospitalization data, right? When you had, you know, people who were double vaccinated and they were six months out from their last dose, they were actually the ones who were filling up the hospitals. They were right. in the ICU. They were the ones who were dying. That's why. That's why Dina Hinshaw. The public health chief in Alberta actually deleted all of that data from the government website in the summer of 2022 so that Albertans would have no idea who's in the hospitals because it was like 90% of hospitalizations were vaccinated and about 80 to 85% of deaths were vaccinated. And of course, at the time, it was the triple vaccinated who were the sickest. Mm -hmm. You know, they had the ones, they were the ones with the crashed immune systems because they had their dose in the last six months. And, you know, our, our health officials knew this and they were deleting all this data from the government websites so people wouldn't catch on that the vaccines were actually destroying people's immune systems, right? Yeah, they, they knew, they knew because they even got 10 doses for every Canadian child and adult, 10 doses for every Canadian they secured and then they were building facilities to make even more doses. Not sure why they would that, do that if it was supposed to be two doses. And on top of that, <laughs> when you look at the digital certificates, that were being prepared, whether it was in Europe or whether it was in Canada, they had actually uh, programmed, I think it was eight slots for eight vaccines. Right. Yeah, yeah, the cards. Right. So there's supposed to be the your, two plus something else. Your vaccine, vaccine passport. Yeah. That's right. You're right. I remember seeing that too, because the first ones were labeled one and two or something like that. And then the rest were kind of emptied, but there were spots for eight. Um, exactly. Now, when did you start noticing turbo cancer or aggressive cancer? No, that's interesting. Um, I can't pinpoint it exactly when, but I can tell you that um, as the number of doctors kept going up in my database, uh, especially the, the the sudden deaths, you know, I was looking at it, I'm like, well, what is causing these sudden deaths? Right. And it was basically, it was four things. The main one was uh, myocarditis, sudden cardiac death. And that's basically when you've got just a sudden arrhythmia, boom, person drops, has a cardiac arrest, and usually you can't bring them back, right? And right. these were happening to athletic doctors when they were exercising and they were happening in their sleep. These were the deaths in their sleep, right? So mm -hmm. that was number one was myocarditis. Number two was blood clots. So you saw people coming down with strokes, pulmonary embolisms, they were killing doctors. Uh, not as many as the myocarditis, but uh, enough to, to notice, right? Uh, there were things like uh, seizures, um, those were starting to happen uh, aneurysms, uh, you know, like a burst aneurysm. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but then I noticed the cancers, you know, and, and the way I noticed it was it was usually someone who was quite young uh, and they would get a cancer like, you know, you're in your 30s or 40s and you get lung cancer. Like, well, you know, these people usually don't get lung cancer. And then it kills you in like six months or 12 months right. or you Very get like a rare brain cancer and so on. And there was enough of these that had shown up in my database that I thought, okay, there, there's, there's something wrong here. I started reading up on it, studying on it and so on. And as soon as I got my Substack going in February of 2023, I started writing about turbo cancer. Uh, and this is the term, again, not my favorite term, not really a medical term, uh, not a medically defined term. It, it's sort of a, you know, it, it's, 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 it's not coming out of the medical field, right? This, this term turbo cancer, but I think it, it captures the essence of what this entity is. And it's a, right. it's a, it's a brand new entity. It is something completely different 
And I can tell you as an oncologist, it is just, it's something that we've never seen before. It is, it is unlike anything. You cannot relate it to anything that we've dealt with in the past. And that means that there's a, there's a completely brand new process that is going on that is predisposing people to these cancers or people who've had cancers in the past and were in remission. Now their cancers come back. They're way more aggressive. Mm -hmm. uh, they spread way more rapidly. So again, the character has changed, right? So I started publishing on it. At February of 2023, I started publishing right away on turbo cancers, kind of looking into it, poking around. Um, you know, there's a little bit of research uh, out there, sort of some cases, but uh, for the most part, it's just being ignored completely by the medical establishment. They're saying it doesn't exist. It's not a thing. But you know, there's there's the occasional oncologist here and there. There's an oncologist in the United, the, sorry, in the United Kingdom, uh, Dr. Daglish, I believe, who's starting okay. to talk about uh, turbo cancer or these just aggressive cancers. Um, but just it's something the medical establishment does not want to deal with. And yet we start seeing obituary after obituary of young people. You'll say short but courageous battle with cancer, killed them within a matter of months sometimes weeks end of story no one's looking into it no one's investigating it uh, were you part of the inquiry with the preston manning inquiry at all so that's you know that that was interesting i had signed up uh, i'd filled out the expert witness form to be a witness in the inquiry and then somehow apparently my application sort of slipped through the cracks and uh, people started reaching out to me and they said, look, the inquiry is coming to Alberta. Are you testifying? And I said, well, no one's reached out to me. Uh, and so people started making some phone calls. And what I was told was that, oh, sorry, we, we, have, we, no, we no longer have space for you. And there were still, you know, they were still doing interviews in Alberta, British mm -hmm. Columbia. They were going to go to Ottawa, Quebec, and there was no space for me. So I thought, okay, you know, I, I don't want to go sort of too down uh, any kind of uh, rabbit hole why that is, but I was not given the opportunity to testify. I would have had you as number one or number two on that list to talk to. I'm not joking. You know, I it's interesting. to be a commissioner to that. Like I applied and some people had nominated me. So I was really looking into the NCI. I would absolutely have had you on that list. Uh, something's weird there too. You know, they had 300 witnesses. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I can't imagine that there wouldn't have been room for me. Give me an hour. You know, no, you can make it happen. Like, like, I don't need that much time. I'll prepare something professional, you know, data, names, everything. Mm -hmm. I, I was not given the opportunity. I, I you know, I don't want to say anything really negative about it because, you know, it, well, it could just be they didn't have the space and, and they could just just be that. Like, that could it, be the it, case. It may have been an oversight. But... Uh, but for the record, I I I, I filled out all the forms. I, I made an attempt. I just wasn't given the given the opportunity. But That's I know there's important. a lot of I, I know there's a lot of good testimony that came out of it. Mm. Very important, very important testimony. It's on the record. So I think I think that's great. I think I think there's a tremendous benefit because I think NCI gave voices to people who would otherwise not have had a voice. Right. I can say, look, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Substack. I'm extremely active. I have a big following. You know, I reach, you know, 15 million people on Twitter every month, uh, several million people on Substack. So, so it's okay. I can get my message out. Right. But there are people in who testified in the NCI who would have no other way of getting their message out. So I think that's, it's good that they, they got that opportunity. 
Now, on your uh, interview with Dr. Drew, you mentioned a couple professions that really tweaked my interest, uh, pilots yep. and bus drivers. Uh, these are two people you've also noticed, or two professions you also noticed that you had some concerns with. I know pilots were pushed really hard to be vaccinated. Yep. Um, I'm a pilot, uh, but I'm not a commercial pilot. I, I'm just a private one. Um, I didn't have to, but they did. And uh, you're absolutely right. That's not the person you need to have clots or strokes or anything. Uh, seizures, this is not the person that needs to have that. So you yep. had a concern about that. And then the same concern for bus drivers, like school bus drivers and bus drivers. You had some reports and you found some stories where, sure enough, there's people passing behind the wheel of a bus. You want to go ahead and remind people about that? Well, I can tell you. So, you know, since the movie Died Suddenly came out, you know, there's been this sort of um, movement of documenting sudden deaths. And there's a number of people who are doing this online on Twitter. Um, documenting unusual sudden deaths, wherever they may be, right? So I'd been sort of keeping my eye on these sudden deaths for a number of months before I decided to get more involved in doing the reporting myself. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, and again, me having sort of radiology background, I'm a pattern person. I am trained to see patterns, uh, sometimes very subtle patterns. Right, because you know, sometimes that's what it is. You need the yeah. subtle one sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And 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 you know patterns that other people may not see or may not may not mm -hmm. notice. Uh, and 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 so you know I'm I'm always looking at, you know what's what's out there, what's happening in front of me, and I can tell you with uh, and that's how I mean that's how I discovered the issue with the doctors. And then of course I do a deeper dive and then get the actual hard data and the information, put it out there. I mean you know then let people know what's what's going on because nobody else is doing it right and so right. um i've been tracking these sudden deaths uh of all kinds i'd say from late 2022 onwards and it was really only in february and march that i started noticing in very high um incidence or frequency of pilots collapsing in the cockpit in flight right Mm -hmm. And so I thought, okay, let me let me let me start tracking this, right? And so I sort of started tracking it, and then it's just one of those things you start tracking it, and then suddenly you You'll these, see it. these incidents are happening, and you see them everywhere. And and really, all someone has to do sometimes is just put it together, right? Put all the incidents together. Let's see what uh, you know. When you put it all together, it just it gives you a, a bigger picture, a better picture of what's happening. I can tell you with the pilots, something happened in the last few months where these incidents are just happening at a, at a much higher rate than they were happening before. I did a deep dive. I, you know, I did a research into these, these incidents in 2022, 2021. There were some uh, of, of uh, incapacitations. That's what it's called with pilots. It's incapacitation in flight. Now, that could be a cardiac event. But it could also be a blood clot event. It could be something else, right? But basically, it's when the pilot goes unconscious, becomes incapacitated, right? Very dangerous, by the way. A very dangerous thing to happen. And there, there was just, for whatever reason, in the last few months, these incidents are just more and more frequent. Uh, and through my documenting it on Substack, writing about it, and so on, uh, I got in touch with um, U.S. Freedom Flyers group. Uh, Josh Yoder, who's a pilot in the United States, 
who is really sounding the alarm about pilots having COVID vaccine injuries and having cardiac issues. Um, and, and so, you know, we're realizing that something very wrong is happening. Mm-hmm. These incidents are happening far too frequently. Uh, you know, in the last couple of months, I've, I've documented about more than a dozen of them. Now, this is more than a dozen incidents of a pilot getting completely incapacitated in flight to the point where the other pilot basically has to land the plane. Right. Uh, divert, of course, divert and then, then land the plane. Uh, and, you know, that's, I mean, that's, that is frightening because now you're no longer dealing with someone who has a health issue let's say from the COVID-19 vaccines that only affects them, they've got right. 200 passengers in that plane. And if that plane goes down, you've got a catastrophe, right? Yeah. And now, so, yeah. I was just going to say, in pilots in particular, we have a pilot uh, medical that we have to go through. We are held to a higher standard when it comes to the medical exam. We even have to do cardiac, uh, like really check the heart. Every, every two years, if you're over 40, it's mandatory. You'll lose your license if you don't have one of those done. So pilots are very, very well checked out. So for them to suddenly, a whole bunch of them start to get get sick to this level, that's very peculiar because this profession, this profession they're very um, stringent on uh, the medicals for pilots. Uh, unlike doctors, I don't, I don't know if they have to do that, but pilots, before they'll even let you get back in a plane, even if you had an incident where you had like some sort of medication didn't react well, that has to be reported and you can actually be grounded for a while. They take this seriously. So they're typically very healthy people. Yeah. And, you know, what I started to notice was it, the same issues that were plaguing the doctors, you know, getting injured and dying suddenly. And then the um, the the bodies, the associations ignoring it. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw the same parallels with the pilots. And so right. you've got, first of all, you've got a lot of the airlines. Uh, they were very... Um, they were very aggressive with with, mm-hmm. the, with the vaccine mandates. So you've got, you know, I, I remember I was looking at Singapore Airlines and they were trying to be the first fully vaccinated airline that everybody was 100% vaccination rate, right? Uh, you've got WestJet was boasting that something like more than 95% of, of WestJet uh, employees were fully vaccinated. So again, you've got a very, you've got a close to 100% vaccinated population with some of these major airlines. Right, right. And this is also at the time where the flights weren't happening. The doc, they were just bringing us back. People wanted to get back to work. Pilots wanted to work, and then they're being told vaccinate or you're not coming back to work. This was a very yeah. confusing time for them. Exactly. So same, same as the doctors, you've got a very highly vaccinated population approaching a hundred percent, right? And then uh, you've got what is the response of the authorities? They're ignoring the problem. They're loosening the standards. The, the, so, the, so the physical exam standards, they're starting to loosen them, right? Whether it's uh, EKG parameters, they're now widening the, the parameters that are considered acceptable. Uh, or in some cases, you've got uh, physicals that were de- being done over Zoom. And they said, well, that's, that's fine. Right. And we're going con- to continue doing physicals over Zoom, right? So we that's see- right. You're right. Transport Canada put out a NOTAM about that, that allowed that. So the doctors were able to do Zoom-based uh, physicals. You're not wrong. I remember that coming out. Yeah. And so what you have is, is you have the same kind of response as we've, we've had with the doctors, is that the authorities who are supposed to ensure the safety of mm-hmm. pilots are, A, they're ignoring the problem. 
uh, and B, they're actually actively loosening, you know, certain standards and, and so on uh, to allow more vaccine injured pilots to continue flying or pilots right. that are having certain cardiac issues and so on. So now there's a kind of a knowing attempt to cover up, just like how the Canadian Medical Association said, there's no problem here. And then they started deleting all the deaths from their website. Right. right. You know, the aviation authorities are doing something similar. They're saying there's no problem and they're starting to loosen standards right and so yeah. uh, this is again something i just said look th th this is this is a serious problem i don't care i'm you know i'm not a pilot I, I don't have any any experience any aviation experience whatsoever i shouldn't actually be the person talking about this <laughs> no, seriously no but, i get you but nobody else is talking about it right so at least i can put it together and get the information into the hands of someone who actually can do something about it. I know that actually some of my information has made it into the hands of Senator Johnson and his team, right? Good. Who's sort of looking at this topic. So, you know, I, I, and I've said to, to various pilots, I, I said, look, A, so because pilots will come to me privately now and they'll tell me all kinds of stories. They will tell me stories about crashes of small planes mm -hmm. or helicopters where they know that the crash happened because of, of a vaccine injury. They knew the pilot. It was a colleague or what have you. And again, they say, look, keep it anonymous. Don't tell me. They're afraid for their jobs. Right? Yes. And, and I fully understand it. But they come to me privately. They say, look, we know there's very serious problems. There have been crashes because of the vaccine injuries. Uh, we're afraid. We don't know what to do. No one's doing anything about it. Right. And the, the aviation authorities are, again, trying to ignore it, sweep it under the rug, pretend it's not happening. Right. So, yeah. so again, same, same kind of problem playing out over and over again. Now, when you, when, when we talk about the, you know, the bus drivers crashing again, this is another thing I just noticed lots of buses crashing. When you look at, um, city buses, those are city employees. They were mandated COVID-19 vaccines to keep their job, you know, in, 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 in most major cities, the, the mandates for city employees were you take the vaccine or, 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 you know, you lose your job. And again, these buses are crashing. City buses are crashing. Buses with school kids are crashing. And again, now you've got, you know, you've got 30, 40 kids in the bus and the and you've got a bus driver who has a cardiac incident, right? Bus goes out of control. You could you could end up in a situation where a crash kills a whole bunch of children. Right? There, and a bunch of crashes. People again, people don't realize. People will see one incident here, one incident there. Well, I can give you a Substack article with 10 of those incidents that happened in a month or two months, right? Like these are happening so frequently, people don't realize how frequent these incidents are. And, and sometimes they twist it in such a way that, oh, look at this hero kid who stopped the bus. And yes. we forget the story. We don't even talk about why the hero kid needed to stop the bus. Exactly. Uh, but that happens. And we're seeing this all over everywhere. So even movie stars, singers and stuff. So yep. Bob Saget... He passed away suddenly, and then there was this big mystery around him. And apparently, somehow he, that was a strange yeah, story. And it was very quiet quickly. I think Coolio was another one where he he passed away pretty quickly. And then we have Jamie Foxx, who had a medical incident yeah. that went very quiet. Now, here's a pattern I noticed. I'm, I'm a pattern guy, too. I'm a nerd. I love this stuff. Uh, the pattern that I noticed is uh, it, when somebody young died before all of this, it was either a drug overdose or a suicide. Mm -hmm. 
Full stop. <laughs> that was it. Or, so you would hear or, it. Or, or a motor vehicle accident. Right? Sure, sure. But the, the ones that were kind of weird, it was like, oh, that's too soon. Um, it would have been, oh, so-and-so passed away. And then we hear the next day it was a suicide or it was a drug overdose. Right. Now we're getting people who pass away. And then we're getting six months later, we're finding out, oh, it was a stroke. Um, why is it taking so long now for this information to come out? It never used to be like that. And a whole bunch of them are no longer drug overdoses or suicide. It's something else. Uh, yeah. I know it's that pattern as well. And I don't think people are ignoring that one much anymore, especially this Jamie Foxx one. There's, he, he was against it. Okay. This is what we heard about it. He was against it. He had to, they forced him into it. And then like within the week, it, his incident happened. So now I think it's pretty clear that vaccine injury is a thing. Something's happening here. Now let's kind of shift the conversation a little bit to the people who are a little bit worried. So earlier we talked about doctors committing suicide. I also think one of the contributing factors to that will be the knowledge of knowing that maybe they got duped and maybe they hurt others. Uh, yeah. And these might be two things that are contributing to their decision-making on, on those fronts there. And that's horrible. Um, yeah. I wish they would speak out before they did anything like that. Um, but let's talk a bit about what can people start to do? Can they do anything? But like first, don't take any more doses. Okay. <laughs> they don't do that. I think that's pretty clear, but vitamin D is this, is a stuff that people can do to kind of help mitigate maybe any of the damages that might be, be coming up. Is there any studies around that? Are you guys working on that? Well, I can tell you, um, just going back to the, don't take any more, uh, MRNA doses. Uh, that is actually more important than people realize because, if we are hit with another pandemic of a different kind, let's say we're hit with we're hit with influenza H5N1, and they'll tell us, "Oh, this has case fatality rate of thirty percent or fifty percent." You are going to take our new mRNA vaccine, aren't you? Oh, by the way, you know the influenza protein we used—that's uh, a safe protein. It doesn't mutate. Uh, it's not like the COVID nineteen spike protein. People can get roped into having to take new types of mRNA vaccines, and we know that they've already mass produced them. The influenza okay. mRNA vaccines have already been mass produced, right? So they're just waiting for to put it into yeah. the arms. They're waiting for the right opportunity to stick it into. Monkeypox didn't work, but they're going to try something Monkey else. Monkeypox didn't work, and they tried that, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and unfortunately, that was killing the wrong group. That's why it didn't work. Well, and uh, you know, there was an issue that had come out that you know there were some children that were starting to get monkeypox, and it's like, well, how is the child getting the monkeypox, right? Now, kind of mm -hmm. let people sort of reach that conclusion on their own. Yep. Uh, but um, you know, so so they've got other mRNA vaccines in the pipeline that they want to release. I know this year, influenza is a big one. RSV is another one. Uh, they want to, you know, all sort of pregnant women uh, with RSV, CMV which can cause, uh, you know, birth defects. They they want every reproductive age woman to mm -hmm. take CMV vaccines. So this is, this is we're going to be hit with not just, you know, new types of maybe coronavirus mRNA, you know, maybe another kind of Omicron booster. They're, they're coming out with other mRNA vaccines. They're, they've already produced them. They're, they've got phase three clinical trials. So the important thing will be to say no to the all, all mRNA vaccines, and any related vaccines of that type going forward. Now, some people will say all vaccines, period, <laughs> because at this point, you can't trust. You can't trust what's in right. these things, right? The influenza vaccines, maybe they'll they'll give you mRNA. They won't even tell you, right? It's happened, actually. There were hundreds of kids that were taken to clinics to get the old-style flu shot. Right, and they got the new one. Being injected with COVID-19 mRNA shots, and they said, oops, sorry, we mixed up the vials. And there's no repercussions, right? So at this point, 
can't trust anything. But I, I will say at least no mRNA vaccines, no matter what kind of fear mongering hits, right? That is the key because mm -hmm. these things, no matter, I don't care what protein they use, they might use something other than the spike protein, they might use something else. It's going to go all over the body. It's going to be inflammatory. It's going to cause similar kinds of problems. You're still going to get the myocarditis. You're still going to get the blood clots, the immune reactions. It's this platform, this technology doesn't work. So people have to say no. And if people in large enough numbers say no, this thing is going to collapse. This whole experiment with this mRNA platform, they are building factories, mRNA factories. But if no one's taking this stuff, these companies are going to go bankrupt. And it, the key, you know, I want to see Pfizer and Moderna go bankrupt, and I want to see criminal investigations, criminal charges, and all of that, right? So the Absolutely. key is to say no. That's number one. Most important thing is to say no, no matter what comes down the pipe. Uh, the next thing I would say is that uh, a lot of people are finding relief with COVID vaccine injury in terms of fasting. Fasting, and it has to be a, a three-day fast. Three-day fast has been found. You know, it puts your body into ketosis. Uh, and then your body actually starts this, this uh, process called autophagy, where it starts destroying your, your own damaged cells. Cells okay. that have been damaged by the spike protein, cells that have the spike protein and have been deformed or what have you, uh, the body starts actually destroying those cells and eliminating those cells. So, you know, when we talk about sort of supplements and nutraceuticals and all those things, which I'm going to come to in a bit, uh, some people don't have money. Some people just are like, look, uh, I don't know what to take. Fasting is actually something very powerful that anyone can do at any time, right? All you got to do is just have the will to fast and stick with it for three days. Some people are finding very significant improvement. And this is for vaccine injuries. And this is for long COVID as well, right? Because I am, I'm, I'm someone who believes that long COVID exists. You know, there's, there's plenty of people who suffered uh, let's say they didn't get the vaccine or they started having very serious uh, complications before taking their vaccine. I think, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's a long COVID is a consequence of untreated, improperly treated COVID that manages to linger too long, become a, maybe a chronic infection. Maybe it hides in the gut. Um, you know, apparently the coronavirus can actually hide in certain places in your body and kind of cause long term problems. So same, same principle applies. Spike protein is toxic for vaccine injuries and for long COVID. Fasting is a huge thing that people can do. Uh, that's the main one where you're not involving any supplements, right? But just then, water only for three days. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, you know, people can look online. There's all kinds of sort of protocols. But yeah, basically the simplest three days water only. Uh, maybe some electrolytes, uh, you know, if you're diabetic, you know, you'd have to sort of get some professional advice, yeah. get some professional advice on that, right? The next thing is that you're looking at either at breaking down the spike protein or blocking the spike protein in terms of supplements, right? In terms of breaking down the spike protein, there's basically these enzymes, a natokinase is the main one. Natokinase is, was discovered in Japan. It's uh, made out of fermenting soybeans. Uh, you end up with this enzyme that you can extract, sell it as a supplement. You know, you could get it for, I don't know, 25, 30 bucks um, on Amazon. Uh, you know, I'm with the wellness company. The wellness company has a version of natokinase as well in, in their spike support formula, uh, which people have, have really been raving about and had good results with. Natokinase breaks down the spike protein, 
but it also breaks down blood clots. And blood clots, okay. a lot of people who've had issues uh, with blood clots, uh, and we know that all the vaccines cause blood clots, all of them. Okay. AstraZeneca and J&J were taken off the market because of blood clots, but Pfizer and Moderna cause blood clots as well, right? And so um, it breaks down blood clots as well. It also breaks down amyloid. Now, amyloid is a, is a protein that's implicated in Alzheimer's disease. So you get these amyloid plaques in the brain. Now, why is that an issue with COVID? Because there are actually sequences in the spike protein that if you translate just a, that particular sequence, you actually get, you produce amyloid proteins in your body that you shouldn't. Okay. Right. So and that, that's one of the theories uh, behind why some of these blood clots are so long and so rubbery and kind of white. And, you know, these embalmers are pulling out these weird calamari, like rubber mm -hmm. band, like clots out of people. And they're like, what is this? And so on. One of the theories is that it's actually amyloid protein that got built into these blood clots uh, and that uh, the amyloid has the ability to actually create long fibrils. Okay. So okay. actually kind of create these elongated structures, long blood clots. But also if it starts depositing in the brain, people can end up with like an early Alzheimer's disease, right? So some vaccinated people are coming down with cognitive problems, cognitive issues. Some are even being diagnosed with like an early form of Alzheimer's disease. So I've seen a few of those, yes. Yeah. So natokinase breaks down amyloid as well. It also breaks down prions. Uh, prion, again, it's this abnormal protein that can create prion disease, uh, which is a neurodegenerative disease, almost always fatal. Uh, and there's some theory that there might even be some prion sequences in the spike protein as well. Natokinase breaks that down also. So a very powerful agent in terms of breaking down the spike protein clots and all, all of that. Then there's a whole bunch of agents, uh, supplements, nutraceuticals that will block the spike protein block it from doing damage and um, block it from causing inflammation and so on. And, and they have anti-inflammatory properties to mop up some of the damage, you know, the, the, the free, free radicals uh, that are then doing damage in, in your system from the inflammation. And these are things like quercetin. People will be familiar with quercetin. That's a flavonoid um, found in, you know, apples and onions and grapes. And uh, it binds the spike protein, and it's also anti-inflammatory. It also promotes, uh, it restores your gut microbiome. And that's another interesting aspect of this that we, have, we, we just don't know anything about. Uh, Dr. Sabine Hazan discovered that vaccinated people who've, who've taken Pfizer or Moderna vaccine several months later, their, their gut microbiome is completely destroyed. They lose all oh. their good bacteria. Oh, no. Right? Okay. And this is like, this happens over several months and their, mm -hmm. their microbacteria is just completely wiped out. Now she's, she's published this online and it's, it's caused a bit of a stir because uh, that's her expertise. Her expertise is looking at gut microbacteria, you know, testing stool samples and so on. And we actually don't even know what the implications of that are. Now imagine, mm -hmm. let's say you're having your gut microbiome destroyed. We know that the gut microbiome is very closely linked with your immune system. Okay. So is that where some of the immune suppression is coming from? We well, don't the know. Children had immune suppression. We're having immune suppression here. It seems like yes, the immune system like like a form of HIV, really, where it's yeah. destroying the immune system. Exactly. So, you know, that's something that quercetin helps. You know, restore your your gut microbiome. It also helps stimulate the production of mitochondria. Mm -hmm. It seems that mitochondria are damaged 
by the spike protein. Uh, mitochondria are the organelles that produce ATP and energy in, in your body. They seem to be damaged and destroyed uh, with the, the inflammation of the spike protein. So quercetin helps restore that. Uh, then you've got other things like uh, black seed cumin, black cumin seed uh, that binds spike protein and has all kinds of amazing anti-inflammatory properties. You've got dandelion root, you've got uh, olive leaf extract, N-acetylcysteine, uh, that's an hour, another powerful, it binds a spike protein, but it's a very powerful antioxidant. Uh, okay. And what's interesting about N-acetylcysteine uh, is that it's a very strong antioxidant that cleans up inflammation in the brain. So Good. very, very strong acting for the brain. It's being looked at for Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and all kinds of even mental health disorders, obsessive compulsive disorder, for example. Um, and it... Um, it also treats inflammation in the lungs. So people that end up having chronic lung issues. Right. Chronic or, or long COVID. Exactly, from long COVID and so on. NAC, some people get a very tremendous amount of relief from NAC. It chelates heavy metals. So some people think that there might be heavy metals in, in the COVID vaccines. I don't know. And it also uh, apparently neutralizes uh, engineered nanoparticles, nanotechnology. Okay. So I'm kind of just throwing that out there. Some people think, you know, there may be graphene oxide uh, in the injections. There may be nanotechnology. Who knows, right? I, I'm not personally convinced of that. Right. Well, you uh, like evidence. You want to see some evidence of that. I, I, I love to see evidence, right? And, and yeah. I know there's been some very interesting, you know, photographs and videos of these self-assembling self, self things that apparently they're finding in the vials. Again, I just... You know, extraordinary claims do require extraordinary evidence. Extraordinary evidence, for sure. So yeah. I, I'm in that camp, right? I'm kind of like, I keep my mind open, but, you know, there needs to be a lot more evidence, uh, whistleblowers and all that kind of stuff before, you know, I kind of commit myself to that. For but sure. if, you've got, if you're worried about that, NAC, very strong antioxidant. Of course, vitamin C is a very good antioxidant as well. Those things will deal with uh, some of these nano things that uh, people might be worried about, right? Uh, yeah. So that, that's in terms of the supplements. Uh, so there's a whole bunch that kind of bind the spike protein and clean up the, the damage, the inflammation. And then uh, we come to the, um, you know, the area of just improving your immune system in general. And this is for the vaccinated, for the unvaccinated, for everybody. I think we're at a point where you know, people could, could kind of get by just, you know, eating whatever, you know, junk food they wanted and kind of, you know, living, uh, living fast. In moderation. <laughs> Live fast, die young. No, but, yeah. but, you know, people generally were not as proactive about their health, their immune system and so on. And I think we're in an era, we're in this sort of bio, bioterrorism, bio warfare era, let's say, regardless of whether you think, you know, the, the, the COVID vaccine, uh, sorry, the COVID uh, virus was deliberately released or accidentally released, there's gain of function, right? Right. I mean, there's no, no one is denying that gain of function has taken place with coronaviruses to make them a lot more infectious and a lot more damaging for humans. And I've, I've learned that they've done some really serious gain of function research with influenza as well. Uh, and, and, you know, that's something that we might be hit at some point. They've done gain of function with Marburg virus, Zika virus, Nipah virus, you name it. Th this has been done. The grants are there. The, the work has been done. Uh, and so we're in this era of bio warfare, bioterrorism, let's say, 
where everyone will have to strengthen their immune systems. The cornerstone of strengthening your immune system is vitamin D. You know, I think if there's one thing you do is you take vitamin D, you get your vitamin D levels up, extremely crucial for the immune system. You know, it, it's there's been studies showing that something like, you know, 80, 80, 85% of all the severe cases of COVID-19, the ones who had to be hospitalized, had yep. to be in the ICU or died, were vitamin D deficient. That's right. And that if public health officials did nothing other than get everybody's vitamin D levels up, of course, there's no money in it. But if that they had just done that, that we would have been able to avoid the vast majority of COVID-19 deaths, the real COVID-19 deaths. I'm not talking about the right. ones that were dying, you know, with COVID as opposed to from COVID. So vitamin yeah. D is a very key aspect of that. Fortunately, vitamin D is very cheap. Anyone can get their vitamin D. There's no excuse for being vitamin D deficient in this. Well, when there's lockdowns, you don't get the free organic version, which is from the sun. So Absolutely. when you're told to stay inside, you're not even getting the free organic version of vitamin D. Yeah. But again, it's, it's, you know, it's cheap, easily available. You know, you take it with vitamin K2 uh, if you're taking high doses. And I mean, Fauci was taking vitamin D. They were they, from the very beginning and they were asking him. And I think he said something like 6,000 units or 8,000 units every single day. And he was, he was taking high doses of vitamin D the entire time. Yep. Well, ironically, I picked that up on Joe Rogan. So Joe Rogan had an episode where he had a doctor on and she said the same thing. It was C, D, and zinc were the three that she was recommending. Exactly. So and we've been doing that every day. Vitamin C, zinc, absolutely. Those are key. B complex. I think there's there's certain B vitamins that are very good, very important. And I always say magnesium. Uh, Magnesium is key. It's a key mineral for hundreds of metabolic processes in the body. Lots of chronic diseases apparently are associated with um, magnesium deficiency. So it's not completely understood, but it seems to be vital for all kinds of metabolic processes. So magnesium and then selenium, uh, apparently also very important for the immune system specifically. Um, <clears throat> Sorry, now I was going to say my concern is is really the things we don't know yet. So we had an entire generation of young people who's going to next be a generation away before they start to reproduce. And we start to see if there's any effects on that as well. Yeah. Like a lot of older people got the vax, they were post-menopause or post trying to have children. None of those people were trying to reproduce. Now yeah. we're going to have the big experiment of whether or not there was a reproduction issue with this as well, whether it's going to mutate or just make it difficult in general. And we won't get those numbers for 10 or 15 years before we see if anything that happened there. So I think what you're pointing out here is very vital, but we're also going to see this experiment is going to be going on for a while. And the oh, yeah. results of this experiment is, isn't going to be out for a while either. So that I think yeah. there's going to be even more. What do you think about the reproduction side of things? Cause we're not going to know that for a little bit. Yeah, no, that's that's a serious issue because we're already seeing, um, at least from the little data that is leaking out here and there, we are seeing a dive in 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 live birth rates. Seeing it in, I think there was data from Germany. There was a dive. There might have been data from Taiwan. Uh, it it trickles out because we're not getting good data from the United States or Canada, okay. right? And we're, yeah. we're probably not going to get it. Um, and so that is a serious concern. Now, in terms of fertility. We simply don't know. We simply don't right. know long term how many people are going to be affected in terms of being actually infertile, and if there's anything that can be done about it. Uh, you know, the, the 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 risk there is that we know that the lipid nanoparticles and mRNA they get into the ovaries, they get into the testes. 
Yeah. And then they cause inflammation. They start damaging the, the, the tissues, the ova, and, and, and so on. You know, the, the sperm might be uh, damaged and affected. That may not be reversible for some people, right? right? And we simply don't know. Uh, we're going to need good tests. Uh, we're going to need tests that will test for spike protein in the blood, circulating spike protein in the blood, spike protein in the tissues, uh, to figure out who's been affected, who's been impacted. Like I said, the key is stop taking this mRNA technology to begin with, right? Just stop. We'll stop. Just stop it. Yeah. We'll stop. Just don't take anything, any of it, right? For people who are, you know, who are trying to get pregnant, um, you have to be at least six months out. And even Pfizer said, don't get pregnant within six months of taking the vaccine. Right, safe and effective, though. So why is that a problem? <laughs> yeah, not exactly. Right, and 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 of course they excluded pregnant women from the trial entirely. Right, but after uh, six deaths or something like that, I think they took the data out after six deaths or something like that. It's yeah, I mean it's it's you know they were telling first of all they excluded pregnant women. Second of all, they were telling them not to get pregnant. Of course, some trial participants got pregnant anyway. Then a whole bunch mm -hmm. of them were lost to follow lost to follow up. Right, and there were some miscarriages, stillbirths, and so on. Um, but um, so, what do you do if you know your reproductive age? You've had the vaccines. You know, you may have had your last shot a year ago. Now you're trying to get pregnant. You might be having some issues. That is very tricky, right? Yeah. Uh, because we simply don't know what we're dealing with. Uh, I would suggest now. Again, I'm not a reproductive specialist. I, I don't claim to be. Uh, you know, uh, I know Dr. James Thorpe the obstetrician and gynecologist in the United States. He was in the movie Died Suddenly, actually. He's the one who, who, are, who was talking about the issue of, you know, miscarriages uh, in that movie, later on in that movie. I, I know he's been very active in, in, in this area, uh, raising concerns that, listen, fertility is going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem. We don't know yeah. how big of a problem it's going to be. I would, I would at least, my best suggestion on, or my best guess uh, would be... Um, Take something to break down the spike protein, block the spike protein, take a multi-month course, right? I forgot to mention ivermectin is another thing that sort of blocks the spike protein. Some people just take ivermectin for several months, right? So okay. do, do a course of, of, of some supplement, whether it's natokinase, quercetin, uh, ivermectin, uh, and take it for three months, six months, what have you. Just try to at least get rid of some of the spike protein from your system. Right. Do the fasting. Right. Do 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 those three day fasts, you know, do them once a month. What have you try to get rid of the spike protein from your system mm -hmm. and maybe your body will repair itself. You know, maybe I mean, the body has a lot of ability, a miracle. You can you know? do stuff. Yeah. Of course, you know, there's only so many eggs that you're born with and you're not going to make new eggs. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so but at least, you know, you want to put the odds in your favor. Uh, if you're trying to have kids and you're having trouble, right? Uh, I would right. say do a course of several months of, a, of a, some kind of a detox to get rid of as much of the spike protein as possible and then see, you know, it's, it's we're flying completely blind in this. And that's what's so frustrating uh, when I interact with other doctors are still pushing the mRNA vaccines and who are ignoring the vaccine injuries, I'm like, we are falling so far behind. Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're sort of past that point. It's like, well, let's have a debate. Like Peter Hotez, let's have a debate about the vaccines. Dude, we're, we're way past <laughs> the 
point of debating. You know, we have millions of injuries documented in the various adverse reporting systems throughout the world. Mm -hmm. right? Whether it's the, the WHO, uh, the European Union database, the yellow card system in the UK, the VAERS database. I mean, between all those databases, there are millions and millions of injuries. We know stillbirths, miscarriages, congenital malformations, fertility problems. We're past debating whether it's happening or not. It's happening. Right. 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 Where, we're, where we're falling behind is what do we do about it? And in medicine, when you're faced with an issue like this, is this is something that young doctors will jump on. They, they want to do the research. They want to you know, do the investigations, do the research, get, get some data, get some answers, get it published, get it out there into the medical. That's how medicine moves forward, right, is, is we investigate. We investigate honestly uh, using the scientific method, uh, and we investigate, we share our findings, you know, we, we get it published and so on. No one's doing it, right? It, no. It's just, it, it's literally like, like no one is investigating anything, you know? We're, we're left with the occasional, like, small reports coming out of, you know, Korea or Japan or, or you know, Germany. You had Dr. Arne Burkhardt, pathologist in Germany, who started, you know, staining for the spike protein and say, hey, look, there's spike protein in the testes, and it's destroying the the the, the spermatozoa making cells, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's destroying the tissue. You know, we've got serious problems here. That's what we need is we need investigations. Uh, and but the thing is, is that the medical associations who's who have their hands dirty are are threatening doctors and are blocking them from basically being doctors, right? We've got this corruption problem, and I don't know how we tackle that. Um, you know, it, it's it's a very and it's so frustrating as a physician to see there are huge problems that we're already behind on. Like we are already imagine the vaccines have been out for two and a half years. Mm -hmm. And these problems were started to be seen back in early 2021. We are already two and a half years behind the curve. Now, you could you could say, well, this should have been investigated by Pfizer and Moderna before they even put the products to the market, right? Mm -hmm. Which which they did. There's a lot of pressure on them to get out there too. The governments weren't helping either. Right. But now that this problem has happened, mm -hmm. you know, we can't stick our head in the sand and say, well, maybe it'll go away. And the people who die or are infertile, well, too bad for them. I took five vaccine doses and it hasn't affected me. So too bad for the rest of you. Right. That is pretty much the attitude that we're facing from a, a big chunk of the population. Yeah. We're already two and a half years behind the curve. And we don't we like we don't have basic investigations on some of these processes that are happening in terms of infertility. I mean, that is a huge, that is a huge area. Imagine if all the highly vaccinated countries, their fertility rates just start taking a huge dive, which it looks like is is happening. I suspect it will. How do we even you know get ahead of the curve on this when doctors are not allowed? To do the investigations, scientists are being censored, silent. They're losing their jobs. I mean, someone like me, you know, I'm still having my license held hostage by a couple of corrupt lawyers at the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta. The politicians, right. they know they're not doing anything about it, right? And there's other doctors like myself that would want to dive in and start doing this research, and we're we're not being allowed to. Well, why don't you just do it without permission? Just start doing it. Get the groups together. Get a Discord server. You need resources now. I'll tell you, you know, they're 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 so I'm doing what I can, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. like I said, I've gotten a, a paper out on IgG4, which which is a big one. 
I'm working on another big paper with Dr. Peter McCullough. So I'm doing what I can with the resources that I have. You take someone like Kevin McKernan, the geneticist in the United States, he started doing his own testing and discovered that there's DNA contamination in the mRNA vials, the Pfizer vials, the Moderna vials, that there's actually DNA contamination from the manufacturing process of how they make the mRNA, which they make in these DNA plasmids, which they stick into E. coli, then they replicate the E. coli in these huge containers, vats, what have you, you know, and then they sort of purify and so on. And he discovered that there's actually a lot of this plasmid DNA is contaminating these vials, right? Wow. Which, which raises all kinds of new questions. Okay, now these DNA plasmids are a lot easier to incorporate into our DNA than, uh, you know, the mRNA having to be reverse transcribed into our DNA. So are people actually incorporating these contaminated plasmids, which have the entire spike protein sequence in them, are they actually incorporating it into their own DNA? And now they're producing wow. spike protein indefinitely, right? We just don't know. Like this is, and again, he did the he did the research himself uh, with the resources that he has. He's put it out, but it shouldn't be left to people like us. You know, like this should be done by the medical establishment, and the medical establishment is completely rotten, corrupt, has completely failed us. And you know, it'll be up to you know people, the population to say, okay, look, we're going to demand uh, that, you know, the medical establishment get their, get their act together and start doing this, start, you know, paying attention and start acknowledging this problem and actually doing something about it. Or we're going to kind of keep stumbling along in the dark and God knows how many years it's going to take to figure some of these things out. Well, here's what we can do. So the, the road to success here is education to the public. Public push, puts pressure onto the politicians. Politicians yeah. will then take moves and then we'll have some action. So what I'm going to suggest is I would welcome you on any time that you have an update. Um, but if we can maybe meet every three months or one, like once a quarter or something like that, just to give an update of what happened since the last time we spoke, we'll keep this conversation going because we got to keep educating Canadians on this. And it's through public pressure that becomes political pressure that becomes change. So I think that's one way to get this going. Yeah. And one thing I will say is that, um, and I've been approached uh, about this topic a lot in the last mm. few months. Uh, you know, a lot of people have COVID fatigue. They're like, why are you still talking about COVID? Uh, you know, especially if, if, the, if the injuries don't affect them, they'll say, oh, look, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to deal with it. Um, and, you know, it's people have been under this impression that if they didn't have reaction to the vaccine within the first few weeks or months, that they're okay. You know, they took their vaccines a year ago, a year and a half ago. They haven't had issues and they think they're perfectly fine. And people are asking me, well, but, you know, there's a safe, like, I'm safe now, right? Like, I'm, I'm out of this uh, period. I haven't had issues. And what I'm discovering and what I'm trying to tell people is that the people who are dying suddenly right now, and these sudden deaths are occurring at a rate at least equal to 2022, if not higher. There okay. seems to be an acceleration in certain, certain areas, like with the pilots collapsing and dying. There actually seems to be a bit of an acceleration there. Um, and so these people didn't take a lot of them didn't take their vaccine in the last few weeks or few months which means that they may be dying from because they don't have it well they may be dying from a process that was started a year year and a half ago gotcha 
from the shots that they took back in 2021 that has taken this long to manifest itself in a, let's say, a sudden death or some kind of a, a disability. You know, there's this issue of microclotting, people having these little clots, right? Myocarditis, mm -hmm. again, a lot of the myocarditis seems to be silent. What if a lot of these processes, people have internal damage that their body was able to deal with for a long time, for the past year? And at some point, their body's just not able to deal with it anymore. Right. And there's a clot that's maybe just a little bit too big. Now that clot goes into the brain, you have a stroke. Or it goes to the heart, you have a heart attack. Uh, or there's enough scarring in the heart that now it puts you into an arrhythmia and a sudden cardiac death. And it, again, it's not to scare people, but it's, it's, it's education. And the education I want to put forward is that th there doesn't seem to be a safe period. There doesn't seem to be a safe period where, you know, you could say, well, I haven't had any issues for the past year, year and a half. I must be safe. Right. It doesn't seem to be the case. Right. Uh, now, a lot of people will be safe just by the nature of the vaccine batches being all different. And some people got batches that are not causing any problems. Maybe they didn't get any mRNA at all. Maybe the mRNA was degraded or what have you, or it was mm -hmm. too low concentrations to cause problems. So a lot of people will be fine. But there's about, you know, 15% of people that have had some kind of a serious effect. And these sudden deaths, man, they, they seem to be so random. And you could tell by the reaction of the families that they mm -hmm. did not see this coming. There was no health problems. There was no issues, no warning signs. It just, one day you're fine. Next day, you've got a sudden death, right? And yeah. And that's what got me to connect with you. I sent you a message because that friend reached out to me that his brother, 45, double bypass heart attack, suddenly they were shocked and he was healthy and he didn't know anything about any of this stuff. So I asked him, was he vaccinated? And he's like, yeah, yeah, both of them. Why? Okay. So I had yeah. to let him know about you and I had to pass the information on. So that's what you know made me reach out to you again and say hey look can we get together because it's starting to happen more and more people are, are it's getting closer and closer it used to be you heard it across the ocean then it was a different province then it was a different city now it's a different neighborhood now it's in your family and yeah. a lot more people are seeing it now yeah so it's, it's you know I'm, I'm not here to frighten people i'm not here to no but we need the hard truth and it's the truth but I want people to be aware that this is happening the risk is there and and we need you know, like you said, we need education, we need information. Uh, information is power, right? These days, information is everything. Uh, and then once you have the information, you could actually do something about it. You could take some things to, you know, uh, prevent an event like that from happening, right? You could do some right. kind of a detox, let's say, uh, until we actually have tests and those tests are coming. I don't know how long it's going to take, but we will have blood tests eventually that will tell you, okay, you've got some circulating spike protein still. A certain amount that you shouldn't have your that makes you at risk my like cholesterol test in the future yeah. yeah so those things are coming but until we have some kind of tests where people can actually get a peace of mind and say hey am, am i at risk for something am i not let me take a test right now we're flying blind it's better to know that this is happening than to just stick our head in the sand and say you know this is nonsense this is misinformation this is not happening because that doesn't help anybody right no it, it's it's pretending this is not a problem it's it's not going to help anybody 
Wonderful. So let's let's kind of pencil you in to come back and maybe we'll talk a bit more about detoxing and the different things you can do. And in the next few months, maybe we'll have some more information on what can and can't help with that. Because there's a large portion who had the double dose and some boosters and anything we can do, vitamin D, zinc, C, get out, do your fast for three days, whatever you we know, can. Like those things, like, again, you know, I'm not here to sell supplements or anything like that. Uh, I'm here to give information. But, you know, those things like the vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, fasting, B-complex, magnesium, selenium, I mean, those things are very simple. Anybody can Mm -hmm. do that. Anyone can sort of, you know, boost their immune system, cut out sugar from your diet, process sugar. You know, that's a big one with, with, especially with cancer, right? Cancers love feeding on on that stuff. Uh, You know, clean up your diet, exercise. Again, if you've been vaccinated, you may not want to engage in vigorous exercise or you may want to think about getting you know yourself a, a cardiac workup of some kind get it privately if if you can't get it through the public system right like we're at a point where the people who are proactive are mm-hmm. going to do way better long term than the people who are reactive and are waiting for something bad to happen right and that's a lot of canadians so that's why i'm trying to put this out there and kind of wake them up as well so i'll do whatever i can with you and if there's any updates on your side we'll get you on right away uh but yeah if we can kind of get you back in about three months and we'll see what we can do over the summer to get some uh, rehabilitation and some detox going because there's a lot of people that should take some steps to maybe mitigate some of this absolutely well thank you very much thank you for the extra 15 minutes i know you're a very busy man so i really appreciate it it was a great talk and thank you for doing what you're doing and standing up to the system and look look the four hundred thousand. that's a hard number to walk away from um you know just saying hey look maybe i, I was a little kooky back there give me back my life and give me back my license it's a hard no, thing I, to like boy you know honestly but, I, I've, I've i've been uh this, this has been my path. This has been my destiny. And, and I wouldn't trade it uh, as, as, as difficult and as rough as, it, as it's been at times. And I can tell you, Alberta Health Services, they put you through a meat grinder. They, they, they don't play around. You know, they, they make life as, as difficult for you as they possibly can. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be where I'm at, um, you know, doing what I'm doing right now. I wouldn't want to be. I can tell you this because uh, I, I think about this a lot. I'm like, well, you know, if I had stayed in my job and they'd left me alone, uh, would I have just taken the jabs and, and been one of these people who's kind of quiet taking their jabs every six months? And I don't know. I, I you know, I, I don't know whether I would have folded or not, but mm-hmm. I'm happy to be on, on this side of things and uh, where I'm at now, this, this, whatever, you know, this is my path, my destiny. And, you know, this, I'll keep going. Uh, I'll keep going with it. Uh, but thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. People can follow me on Twitter at MacusMD. And, you know, for the longer articles, you can follow me on Substack, macsmd.substack.com. For the wellness company, you can check it out. It's twc.health. And the Canadian uh, website is the twccanada.health. And what I'll do is I'll put all of that into the description. And I'll also tweet that out for you as well. And we'll keep this conversation going. Thank you very much, Dr. Macus. And I'm going to continue to call you Dr. Macus, no matter how many times we try and hurt you here. You are our doctor, and we thank you very much. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on. God bless you. And we'll talk soon.